4: 6 FM Good morning. 1850 715 996 is the number. The text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. We're on Twitter at Opinion Line 96 And of course, the Corks 96fm Facebook page, always open for business. Just send us a message, but mark it for the attention of the opinion line. Coming up a little bit later on, if you knew that your son or daughter, but in this case, it happens to be a son, was involved in something like joyriding, would you report him to the police yourself? Would you dob your own kid into the guards in sheer desperation because of what you knew he was doing? I've been talking to a woman who did just that, and that's coming up uh, later on this morning. But first of all, and we'll be back to Magazine Road as well. Fiona was up there yesterday. She met some of the local residents, including some younger people who have been mistaken for, for, for students and 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 near duels. They're just. They've been living there and they've been mistaken for troublemakers. So we we'll be back there in, in, in a minute. Plus, lots more besides. But Michelle, d- describe exactly for me where, where you saw this and what happened. Good morning to you.
5: Morning, PJ. Um, just up the top of the brewery steps last night, um, about 8 o'clock, I'd say, yesterday evening, just going for a walk. Um, I was actually going to walk down the steps to go to the shop. So there was two fire brigades, um, Garda, present the the van and the car um, ambulance um and there was just a you know a, a gathering of teenagers down below in the steps where you know it's a it is a drinking spot for teenagers it's um Rom- Romain well, Listers social, again Michelle
4: who wouldn't know where exactly is brewery steps so
5: it's just From the Blackpool Bypass up the steps that lead up to the top of Richmond Hill by the Bells Field.
4: Gotcha, oh yeah, and Bells Um, Field would be the well-known... Everybody knows Bells Field now because that's the field from the Young Offenders.
5: Yes, true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there was a a massive um, presence um, of guards and um, fire engines, the whole lot, there was um, a whole crew out there last night, so I don't know exactly what was going on. I went about my business and went down to the shop the long way around Um, but it seemed there was a lot of antisocial behaviour and on my way back I did hear a group of teenagers coming from that area saying she was thrown into the paddy wagon and brought to the bridewell so um, yeah it's just awful at the moment the amount of antisocial behaviour around here um, with teenagers definitely all underage
4: we, we had it in Mount Oval last week, where it emerged into a, a, a big fight. We know that up in Gary Duff Woods, which is not far from mount Oval, there 's been gangs of of teens. we had sixty or odd of them cleared out of a mm-hmm. uh, a, a graveyard It was actually in the, the Balancol area. There certainly seems to be a lot of this going on out around the lock every day now you see you see gangs of them. Uh, Is it that people are just getting frustrated, do you think, Michelle? We were all all teenagers once. You get very frustrated by being stuck at home for eight or nine weeks, particularly with the weather as good as it is. Do you think the people are just, do you know?
5: Um, I suppose there's an element to that, but, you know, these are 15 to 17-year-olds, I suppose. Um, You know, again, last Friday I was walking down until at 5 o'clock and a massive gang of teenagers, no more than 15, 16, with bottles of Wicked. They're brazenly drinking out in the open, brazenly around the place. Um, You know, I understand this frustration, but I think, you know, as a parent of a 17-year-old myself who has barely been outside the door, who hasn't seen a friend in weeks, you know, we need to try and rein it in still a little. You know, and I think for the residents up here, there's a lot of older residents. There's, you know, an element of fear around it as well.
4: As you say, a parent of a of a seventeen year old, but my kids are a bit older than that, just a few years older than that. But you 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 understand their frustration, don't you?
5: I do, and but there's other ways, you know. They can go it's fine, go for a walk, but it's the whole the drinking and what the drinking brings about, and it's just the brazenness of being so open about it. You know, mm-hmm. um, sitting up at the top of Richmond Hill with you know bottles of, of wicked and vodka and, you know, and it's what they're doing with them afterwards, throwing them around. Um, mm. I spoke to two elderly residents yesterday evening and, you know, they saw people at the weekend going to the toilet on the field and on the road and in front of their houses, you know. So, and it's actually a very quiet area, residence wise you know. It's not... Um, it's a, a quite an old area and there's a bit of a mix where I live as well. Yeah. But it's very quiet, residence wise
4: I mean... Drinking a bottle of Wicked or whatever it happens to be in the street in the middle of the day is an offence anyway. So the guards already have the powers to confiscate that drink.
5: Yeah, there's very few guards around. There's not a big guard presence around here generally. You know, they do drive by, but I think given the circumstances now and the situation we're in, you know, it wouldn't be any harm to have a more constant guard presence, even just walking. I think they're, they're better on foot around this area um, and as you know those steps are just a magnet for drug deals at 5 o'clock in the evening, and drinking you know
4: At, any, at um, any time of the year there's there can be trouble on those
5: steps yeah. It's actually worse at between 5 and 6 o'clock in the evening you know um, and it's just I don't understand why there's not a camera at the top of the steps or why there's not more of a presence, yeah. a guard presence especially now
4: Good point, good point. Michelle, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 1850 Michelle took to her Twitter uh, to to uh, put up pictures of that scene that she saw yesterday, and it brought a whole load of different responses. Another, we mentioned Mount Oval, we mentioned Gary Duff, we mentioned areas of Douglas, mentioned uh, parts of, uh, over the lock, the, the graveyard in... Balancholic Graveyard in Crosshaven also had antisocial behaviour down there. There's just mobs of of youngsters gathering right, left and centre. And look, we get the frustration. We're all a bit frustrated or have all been a bit frustrated over the last two or three months. But they're out in the middle of the day with bags of cans. Uh, they're making toilets out of the real estate and, and, and all of that. Yesterday afternoon, there was another gathering of residents. We mentioned it here yesterday. Remember, we mor- yesterday morning, we spoke to Catherine Clancy from the Magazine Road Residents Association. We spoke to a few more people that lived up around Magazine Road, Stroke College Road, Stroke Barrack Street, that sort of thing, watching gangs who had moved into the area and taken advantage of empty apartments and houses that the the, the landlords have decided to rent out for the summer. Now, we were wondering, is it down to the landlords? Are they to blame for opening up the houses? Is it the young people themselves are to blame for the behaviour? Is it their parents are to blame? Because one caller said yesterday she actually saw people moving their kids in, helping them to move in hugging them in the driveway and saying have a good time now love and then sure hours later there was a party on who's to blame for all of that but there was another gathering last evening up in that uh, magazine road stroke college road stroke highfield area and uh, fiona went up there fiona from the course 96 m newsroom went up and spoke to a few people
6: the way we can really it started in some houses huge parties Roaring, screaming. We had people across from us running around naked. Guards came. If they're outside, they were able to close down the party. If they're in the back garden, there's nothing they can do. And the trouble is, it's it goes on day and night. I looked out at 7 o'clock, was it, on Thursday morning, and I saw them all going to the loo in the gates and a neighbour came out and shouted at them and I couldn't repeat what they said back. The language is ferocious. People are very edgy now. This is, like, we've gone through a lot with different pressure week, rag week, blowing up different times. This has brought it to a whole new level because people are frightened as a starting point. People are afraid now a cluster will come in. You know, like, I can't drive to Bell and Collegue for a bit of a change because it's just outside my 5k and yet I have people two doors up from Tipperary, Limerick and Kerry and they couldn't care less.
5: Like we're all getting painted with the same brush because we look young they assume that we're students and we're having people shoving posters in our faces and like we've been living here for two three years do you know it's frustrating for all of us because we've been up all night the last few nights because of parties on this road each every house, nearly every second house is throwing big parties of over 15 to 20 people there Like the noise is ridiculous, like it is really really loud and I can only imagine that if you've been, you know, cocooning, you've been in inside for weeks, you're, you're, you're scared, you know, and there's a lot more people on the streets, like honestly even at night time there's, someone came knocking on our door at one o'clock in the morning just drunk and like where we can deal with it, we don't mind dealing with it because, like, look, we're younger, we, we have more patience for it, but, like, I can imagine that it's frustrating for people that have been here for years and years and just been dealing with this for so long. There are too many
6: student complexes around here. The place is destroyed, and we are not local residents. Like, OK, we weren't all saying we were younger, but it's going to be onto joke now. The place
7: is destroyed with student accommodation.
6: We took back the feedback from what the residents felt about gathering for the last three days. It was a huge commitment. We're going to take on board what they said. We may move to um, what we will call picket-a-party or also moving our uh, vigil to the House of Landlords and Letting Agents.
4: That's Catherine Clancy, uh, the aforementioned uh, chair of the uh, Magazine Road Residents Association finishing off that package from Fiona. Thank you Fiona for that. So they're going to start picketing individual parties or individual houses or individual landlords' residences or letting agents' offices if they don't get satisfaction. Yesterday morning, I think, if I remember her correctly, and I'm paraphrasing rather than quoting directly, Catherine Clancy called for those young people to be evicted and for the landlords to step up and throw them out. Unfortunately, as was pointed out, they can't now because there's a little loophole in the, the pandemic legislation, if you want to call it that, that they can't actually be evicted now until at least the 29th of June. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There's also a, a good piece in the newspaper today in the, in the Examiner where people are calling for emergency legislation. Catherine Trancy being among them, but other residents that they could, emergency legislation needed to, to help the Gardaí tackle lockdown house parties uh, amid fears of a new wave of COVID-19. Thing is, with regard to whatever house parties, the gatherings in the streets, like Michelle was describing to us, and we've taken reports from all over the city and county in the last week and a half. There's no need for additional legislation for that, because anybody... Did you know it's illegal to go down to the lock or up to Fitzgerald's Park or anywhere you want to go with a bag of cans? That's illegal. And the guards can... And it doesn't matter whether you're 15 or 50... It's illegal to go up with a bag of cans and drink in the open air, and the guards can confiscate it from you. And I'm sure you wouldn't be long going home if you thought your drink would be taken off you. There's also a, a solicitor, a trainee solicitor from Cantillans, that's Sarah McNulty. She's quoted in the examiner today that uh, you could do... People who were affected by this sort of antisocial behaviour or what she calls significant interference with the peaceful enjoyment of your home could seek a DIY-style restraining order using environmental protection legislation. okay. We'd love to talk to Horak. That's interesting. Using environmental protection legislation, you might be able to get a kind of a do-it-yourself restraining order against what's going on next door. That's interesting. Love to talk to her, might do that too. 1850 715 996. Finbar says a buddy of mine lives in Shandon View Cottages. The side of the house is on the brewery steps. Always people drinking on the steps of all ages all year round. If Leo and Gardi failed to condemn the Dublin protest, how can you blame teenagers? A lot of people conflating that. We were talking yesterday about that protest in Dublin, uh, the Black Lives Matter protest in response to the horrendous. Killing of George Floyd in the States, and and a lot of people condemning that gathering because it wasn't it wasn't legal under the present uh, laws under which we live, but it still happened, and it was allowed to happen. Uh, other other gatherings have been broken up, like the Debenhams workers were removed from the front of where they were protesting. A buddy of mine, yeah. Uh, Walking through Bellevue in Grange last night at 7 o'clock... ...came across four very young teenagers... ...no more than 14 or 15... ...picking up one of their friends off the pat. That's from Mary. Kate says, there's absolutely no excuse for this. We were all in the same boat here, but we're not doing this. If you stop making excuses now. If you were at this in Spain, the police would come along... ...take the drink off you and walk you home. They have guns there. Nobody would dream of standing up to them. But there's no fear. They're laughing at the guy. You're not wrong there, Kate... God, you're not wrong. The Guardia civil or the Policia locale would have you off the streets faster than nothing. Oh, stop. Uh, Kevin says, the only ones to blame are the adults who've moved in. Not the parents, not the landlords. Personal responsibility. Fair point. Fair point. We were There was three people being mentioned yesterday with regard to the houses on College Road as to who is to blame. Is it the landlord who opened up the house to take opportunity? Of vacant houses in the summertime is it the parents who dropped off the youngsters and said have a good time love or is it the youngsters themselves who have booked in for for the summer months but if the landlord didn't do it then the service would if the service wasn't provided it wouldn't be availed of but Kevin said it's purely down to the responsibility of the people who've moved in uh, surely my mum and my mother-in-law live in the college road stroke magazine road area it really is beyond a joke you also have gangs of 20 or more partying down by the lock it's all very unfair from what i hear a lot of these students should be sitting the leaving cert right now and the parents and the landlords also need to show some responsibility pj is drinking on the streets illegal Shirley, or oh, the lion out in the park last weekend drinking cans so can you not just turn around and say if the teacher can do it can i not do it one rule for the elite, one rule for the mugs, says Johnny, in Balancholic. It could well have been a non-alcoholic drink. We actually don't know. Nobody knows what Leo was drinking. A lot of people were trying to... There was At one stage, there was someone had opened a book on Twitter as to whether he was drinking Coors Light or Dutch Gold or, or Linden Village. He could well have been drinking, dipping something out of a can, soft drink out of a can, so you don't know. Don't know. 1850 715 996.
2: The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. With a self service
8: laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Spacious, convenient, and still open every day. SelfserviceLaundry.ie. I love it. I it
2: Corks 96 FM now brings you even more music choice. Streaming online. Online. I- I
8: Listen to the Hit Mix for fresh new music.
2: Fresh new music. And the all-new Corks 96FM Fitmix It's
8: the perfect soundtrack for your workout.
2: Your workout. Download our app. Listen on your smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go to 96FM.ie. This is Corks. Gold Emro Award Winning Talk Show: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now: zero
8: eight three three
2: ninety six ninety six ninety six on Courts, ninety six FM.
4: On the emergency measures that some people are saying the Guardi should be able to take at this point in time, emergency legislation. Kevin, you're right. We can't actually pass any more legislation. The government that's there at the moment now unfortunately, cannot pass any more legislation than it already has. Can it even modify legislation it has already passed? I, I don't know that, but it certainly can't pass anything new until a new government is formed, and whatever Tinefall, Fine Gael and the Greens are doing between the three of them, we won't know for a while. Anyway, 1850-715-996. Joyriding was back in the news last week. Dee was talking about it while I was off. Uh, and there was an incident on the north side of the city. I don't know a whole pile about it, so therefore I won't go into it in depth. But you know, you were listening. I, like I said yesterday, took a few days out, so I, I don't know the exact details. But it was there. But you also remember, if you go back along to the month of February, and the tragic death of Kimberly O'Connor. Remember, Kimberly, she was only sixteen and she died in an incident when the car she was a passenger in crashed and hit a wall It was she was nearly less than 100 yards from home and in the days after her funeral a very distraught woman contacted the opinion line and she said she was living in fear because she was convinced that her own son would kill someone or kill himself in a car and off air she told Deirdre how it's so easy now for youngsters to get a car. They said come out in the papers as well how it's so easy for youngsters to get a car for a hundred quid, for 50 quid sometimes and just drive it around. and she told us how she was at her wits' end and um, she had gone so far as to actually report her own son, but she felt it had been a waste of time. Now back then she she came into studio, uh, she recorded an interview, but afterwards she was very nervous. Of being about being identified, um, she still wanted listeners to hear the story, but she was very, very nervous about being identified. So, and this isn't something we we do lightly. We, we transcribed Deirdre transcribed the whole interview that I'd recorded, and recorded her. Then she voiced, revoiced Mary's responses to my questions, and that's what you're about to hear now. We were going to broadcast this a few weeks ago, but with all the focus on COVID, it just got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back because COVID just dominated us completely for the last couple of months. But but here it is now. So so remember, what you're hearing is Deirdre taking the part of this woman who we'll call Mary, who came to us frantically worried about her son, and she began by by telling us about him.
9: He's sixteen. He was kind of the perfect child till third year. Came home every day and done his homework. Started going out more and stealing cars, getting out at night through the window. We eventually hit his runners thinking he wouldn't get out. He got out barefoot. He still got out barefoot. We got a guy up to lock all our windows. If there was a fire, we couldn't get out. The doors were locked, keys were locked. He was eventually able to put a knife into the window and open the window.
4: And up to that point?
9: Up to that point, he was perfect.
4: Really, it just started like?
9: He was doing his junior cert, so the January before his junior cert, he got eight honours and two passes. He'd done his homework every night. He didn't cause me an ounce of problems. He never had a problem in school, but he started to get mouthy at home. Then he started to go around with an older crew.
4: We know, like those of us who have raised teenagers, that, that at some point between 13 and 18, nearly all of them, they get cranky, they act out, they're a pain in the ass. But this is beyond that.
9: It went way beyond that. We couldn't talk to him. He had no communication with me and his father. No talk for a long time and then went away calling us you muppet, abusive language back to me. I contacted Tusla, I rang them first. I contacted them and they said they would meet me and my husband on my own. At this stage the guards were being called and he was getting out and he was underage so I had to report him missing. Tusla were now involved. They came out and talked to him and then he started joyriding.
4: How did you find that out?
9: Through videos. Through videos somebody sent me a video and one or two people said to me the vigilantes was out to get him and he was going to get a beating that they were watching him and he was going to get it they said that he was out driving cars with scumbags and all this and I was sent a video he was caught with a grinder and the guards came he was given a community guard I'm very fond of the guard and they're good to me but there's nothing they can do now he's up for possession of weed that he threw away that he said is not his but there is a court case pending it was getting violent very violent he was starting to break up the house then the night of the sleepover to give you an example he never allowed it but we never allowed it but the councillor said to trust him and give him a bit of leeway trust him well the next morning at 8am I got a call from the Garda station and they said he's here we have your son he's after taking something the two of us went up to the Garda station and my husband will tell you the blood drained from my head to my toes with the state of my child I couldn't believe it and of course he got ratty then What I can't understand is a child in that state should have been brought straight to CUH. I didn't know what he was after taking. I couldn't believe this was my son.
4: Describe what you found.
9: He was limp in the chair, snow white, frothing out of the mouth. He wasn't intoxicated. I didn't smell any alcohol. The guards just said they found him asleep in a garage.
4: Was he able to talk to you?
9: Slurry-like. Like, after taking a lot. I went home and the social worker called and I went up the stairs... And they said, let him sleep it off, but if he doesn't wake up, ring your GP. I rang the GP and they said, sure, if you have concerns, bring him to COH. But I did watch him for the day and he did wake up. It's over a year now since his carry-on started.
4: Are there times that you can talk to him? Is there ever a time that you can sit him down and talk to him?
9: No, no, you cannot talk to him. I said to my son just last night, please try and give up the weed. Straight away, go you effing eejit, you know.
4: So he's well and truly hooked.
9: Yes, he's hooked. And I rang the social worker last week and I said I want to sign him into rehab. I have health issues myself and I could have an episode at any time. I just want him to be all right. I want to sign him in. I don't like him when he smokes. I hate him when he smokes it. I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid of my own son. And where's he getting it? I don't know. I don't know. And it's not normal weed. Me and my husband don't do drugs or anything, but the smell of the weed, there's someone out there that knows that these... People are smelling weed and they've got to know if it's in their houses because of the smell of it. Like, it's not normal weed. The community guard is telling me it's dipped in heroin. It's sending every child off their rocker. It's two joints and they're angry. They're different. Their mental health... My son hasn't got mental health problems. My son was the cutest child going.
4: Well, if it reassures you at all, and that's probably the wrong choice of word entirely, you're about the third person who's brought our attention to joints dipped in heroin it's happening yes and our friend in Coonvira, Michael Giaran is familiar he's described it to us it's a thing
9: what I can't understand is I'll take full responsibility for my son until he's 18 but I can't sign my son into rehab at 16 so what chance do I have when he's 18 why can't you because they say it's his choice I can't force him to do it but is it my choice that this person is selling him weed is it my choice that's not my choice I'm his mother I should have the right to put my child into rehab now because I'm going to have no chance when he's 18. Is he drinking? Not much. But he talks suicide a lot. If you mention anything I'm going to hang myself, I'm better off dead.
4: And when you talk to the guard, you say the community guard is very good to you and does her best? She does. Do you feel their hands are kind of tied?
9: To be honest, I went up there one night hysterical and I was trying to explain to the guard behind the counter that he was gone missing or in a car or something. I went to the desk like that and they were having pizza out the back. She called me the wrong name after asking me again what my name was. I said, are you with it at all? They were at the back eating pizza and they didn't give two shits where my son was. Now every time my son is out, I'm in the car looking for him. It's not that the parents don't care. The parents are out there in their car looking for them, crying, pulling their hair out looking for their child. But the problem is that people are not helping each other. Parents need to help each other. It's not that your Johnny isn't out doing this or that. All of them are doing it. Do you know what I mean? Parents are not standing with each other. They're on about vigilantes, on about the dr- joy riding up in Ballyvalan. Where's the vigilante with the drug dealers?
4: Now, you came and approached us within days of the Kimberly O'Connor tragedy.
9: And I'll tell you why I came to. I showed you a video of my son and I told the guards, that's my son driving that car. And they said they can do nothing about it. And I said, who's the person that sold that car to my child for 100 quid? He said, sure, I don't know. How would we find that out? I said, I hope that if my son crashes the car and he's driving it, I hope when you knock on my door that it's my son you tell me is dead. Because I'm coming to you with information that these people are selling cars for as little as 50 quid. I'll tell you another story came to my attention, PJ, a couple of weeks ago that my son was buying a Jeep that could hold seven or eight kids. Between them, they were buying it, and I don't know who was going to be driving it. So I went on Facebook and I did a bit of detective work. And I found the man that was selling the Jeep. I'm not very good on social media, but I got a friend to send me his phone number. He was on the north side of Cork. I got his phone number and I rang him.
4: Is it what we'd call a registered business, or is it just an individual who's doing it?
9: I don't know if he's registered, but I doubt it.
4: But you know he has a reputation for it.
9: He's a reputation for selling cars to children. I was nice and polite. I said, look, it's come to my attention that my son is messaging you about a jeep that you have for sale for 200 euro, and I will be going to the guards. I got the height of abuse. F you, he said, and I said if you sell that car to my child that is 16 years of age and anything happens to him or anybody else in it, I'm holding you responsible. And this is what prompted me to come in to you. Here I am going to the guards and telling them all this and they're telling me they can't do anything. Not only are they saying they can't find out who my child got the car off, but they wrote a letter to my 16-year-old son to come up and collect his car.
4: The car, he was caught driving without a licence, without insurance and underage, that he bought for 50 quid. And you're just saying they told him come and collect it? Yes. This is after you coming up to them? You ratted your own son out for his own good then?
9: I did, PJ, because if I can save another child and my own child...
4: And they gave him back the car?
9: No, they rode out for him to come up and collect the car. So this guy anyway, I said, that's a jeep you're selling that can hold seven or eight kids. He said, I'm legit and I can do whatever I effing like. I said, you're not legit if you're selling it to my son at 16. I said, if you sell that car to my son, I'm reporting you. And I left it at that. But on the echo last week of that accident in Knock I saw that the guards were looking to find out who sold that car. But why didn't they go looking to see who sold the car to my son?
4: Do you think it might be the same person? Yes, I do. You say that in a way that sounds to me you have some evidence. I don't have evidence, but I just think he's a disgrace. Have you given a name to the guards? No. You have a name that you could give them?
9: I have a name and I have the Snapchat. Yeah, I could give it to them. I have the information, yeah.
4: We've had, and I can remember this joy riding as they call it, in the north side since the 90s. It's back again. We've had one death this time round already. I suppose you you must be living in mortal fear of your boy being next.
9: I live, PJ, in mortal fear that my boy will kill somebody else. I've said that to the guards. I've said I hope when you come to my door that it's my son is dead. Because I couldn't live if my son was driving a car and someone else was killed. I couldn't.
4: Have you any relationship left with him at all?
9: I'm struggling at the moment. He's my son.
4: You obviously love him.
9: But I'm struggling. I'm struggling myself. I don't want to go on a parenting course. I know all about parenting. The guards told me we can't tell you to do anything else because you're doing everything. But there's nothing working. I said, I still can't sort him. No, he's not as bad as he was. He's not getting out at night time. That's stopped. But the weed, that's a big problem. But there must be someone who can help him. Someone who can get through to him. They tell me if he gets violent with you, ring the guards. The guards come up, calm down. They do nothing. I'll tell you a story, PJ. When my son got kicked off up in the Garda station, the Garda told me to go in and get a safety order. He sent me into the district court. I didn't want to do it but I thought if he did kick up the guards could do something and that's what I was told. I went to the district court and the girl behind the counter said you can't do that here you need to go to the other court to Washington Street. I went up to the family law place and I filled in a form. The girl called me up to the counter and she said who is this against? I said my son. She said what age is he? I said 16. She said you can't get one for 16. The guard sent me on two wild goose chases. I met the same guard going back to my car. I said you sent me to two courthouses and I can't get one. He said can you not really? He didn't even know the law.
4: Other than the worry that he'll kill someone else or kill himself, you're really reaching out to us looking for help, aren't you?
9: I'm looking for help for my son and for me.
4: Because deep inside this very troubled little 16-year-old head, all the experts tell us there's something up. Do you believe that there's something causing him to do this? I mean, he didn't just wake up one morning and turn into a bad kid. I
9: I can't actually answer that. Because he can send me Snapchats that say I love you, ma'am.
4: Do you think he does? Do you think he does love you?
9: I do. He'd be lost without me. We would remortgage our house to get our child right. We would do anything to get our child right.
4: He's packed in school, I think.
9: He did very well in his junior third. And he's been working since he does work. I get up very early in the morning and I do make the effort. He gets paid on a Friday and... Gone a Sunday morning on weed.
4: Now, I'm aiming this very much at the people who hear a story like you're telling me on the show and, and they ring up and they say, ah, he's just a little scumbag or what are the parents doing or, or sure you were out on the road looking looking for him. like."
9: And there's other parents out there that know me and I've become good friends with one or two through this, through their sons and we all have the same story. But there's nobody putting it out there and helping each other. We're all closing our front doors, but when you see a teenager out in the streets, what you don't see is the mother crying at home, trying to get them in. You can't be with your son 24-7. When my son goes out, what am I supposed to do? Follow him around in the car with his mates? What am I supposed to do? Give him a good beating? When people say, oh, he wants a good beating, what beating can I give a 16-year-old? I don't want to beat my son.
4: Do you believe at the base of it all, it's a problem that he has? Yes. And help that he needs?
9: I won't accept that my child is a scumbag and that he comes from a scummy family. I won't accept that. And the majority of people I know don't accept that. I believe it's the weed. I believe that if he got off
4: the weed... Well, there's people that we would have regular uh, contact with from the programme that might be able to help.
9: But he won't want to go, that's my problem. He won't want to go. But every week I can see it getting worse. Every week. The aggression is more and the depression is more. For a child to tell you I don't want to live in this life... I'm from big family and we never... When I said it to somebody, we they said, but times are different or in a different time. There's no excuse for it. He doesn't come from a broken home. He doesn't come from an abusive home. I have a beautiful home. I'm very strict, extremely strict. I mean, there's not too many mothers that would rat out their own son, tell on their own son.
4: I can see that apart from the worry, you're at your wits end trying to figure out as well what to do, where to turn.
9: Before I rang you I was ready to throw in the towel I contemplated packing my bag and leaving because I just can't do any more I don't know what to do and I know that it's going to get worse and I know that when he's 18 I can't do any more because he's an adult but I know that you've all, I have all these services in place and they're doing nothing they can give you all the numbers but I've no help
4: And And when you say they're doing nothing is it that they say to you that they can do nothing? Is that it?
9: I feel the guards aren't doing enough without getting the drug dealers
4: do you think they know who's doing the selling, like selling the cars, selling the drugs? You you believe the guards know who is involved? Yes. And why do you think they're not acting on that information?
9: I don't know. But it's very frustrating. A couple of times I've said I'll act on it myself if I find out who's giving my son drugs. He's 16. He's my son. And they've said you can't do that?
4: Finally, to people who will be listening to this but just don't get it, they, they don't understand... What it's like to be a parent in your position. They think, look, you can't t- tell them to cop on. But you've done everything you can and there's no copping on.
9: I've done everything. And if anybody has anything I can do, I'd like them to tell me because I will do anything. I just want my son, I don't want him to have straight A's. He's working. I just want him to be a good person to do the right thing. I've never broken the law myself and I don't expect him to do it. I just want him to be a good person. But the problem is the weed, and there's no doubt about it, it's the weed. And unless he's willing to go and get the help, what's a parent to do if Johnny up the road is up there waiting to give it to him? We need parents to stick together. We're all watching out for our own kids. But we should be watching out for everyone else's kids as well. Because we're all in the same boat, and we should be helping each other more. The people that are selling the weed to those children, they are destroying them. They're destroying families, not only the children. Mothers and fathers, brothers and children they're destroying families and we can't do anything about it. If anyone has any idea what I can do I will gladly take all the help that I can.
4: That's recorded um, back in February and revoiced by Deirdre. Um, The the weed is the thing that comes through it most starkly. The joyriding obviously is bad enough but the weed and that mention in it of Weed dri- dipped in heroin or, or joints made up and then the heroin injected into them. That has come up on the programme a couple of times, came up in that interview. It had come up with, with our friend Michael Guerin more than once. We'd heard it anecdotally from around various parts of Cork that this was a new thing that the first thing that the drug dealer would do is he'd get you onto the weed, and he'd get you hooked on the weed, and he'd supply you the weed, and, and sure you not know, thought it was just a harmless bit of weed, and then you'd get one that had been dipped, and sure before you knew it you were smoking the double whammy, and you were double hooked, and then he said, oh you like that? Well this is this is actually better now. This is this this be better now, and before you know it he's got you on a heroin hook as well, and it's make it's driving the kids demented. Driving them batty, as you heard from that misfortunate woman. If anyone has any suggestions of what she might do, 185715996. If anyone thinks that she could have done better already, same suggestion, although I can't think of anything she could have done. Could she have passed all over the information that she has to the guards? Well, maybe she could has anyone been in a similar situation did you get out of it how did you get out of it have you got your son or your daughter back now Deirdre has spoken to we're just calling her Mary for the sake of the story Deirdre has spoken to Mary in the last few days and he's actually doing okay at the moment he's calmed down a bit whether it's COVID or lockdown or pandemic or whatever we don't know but he's calmed down a little bit which is good news maybe we can get her some help though just a couple of minutes. 1850
2: 715 The Opinion Line on Quartz 96 FM.
8: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Remaining open
2: for all your essential
8: fuels with drive-in or seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie Save.
10: The government has launched phase one of Ireland's roadmap to reopening the country. The following information relates to updated guidelines for sport and tourism. Outdoor spaces and tourism sites, for example, car parks, beaches and mountain walks, are open where people can move around freely and where social distancing can be maintained. You can exercise, either on your own or in a group of no more than four people, where social distancing can be maintained and where there is no contact with other people. It is now possible to participate in a range of sporting activities in groups of no more than four people within five kilometers of the households of those involved. Social distancing should be maintained at all times. Stay Stay safe and keep up to date with all COVID-19 information at 96fm.ie This is Courts. Gold, Imro award winning talk show. The
2: Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850
8: 715
2: 996. On Courts, 96 FM.
4: Caller says you have a man in Balefahan who could help that young boy. Jerry O'Brien. Yeah, we had Jerry in studio here. And it was around the same time that that call had come in. There's another man I know, though, who, who may want to help or may who un- know how we might help. I, I made the point uh, in the course of the interview, uh, revoiced, of course, by Deirdre, that you don't just get up one morning and decide to be a bad kid. Something happened and something is going on in his little head that is causing all of this. Let's go to the Cork Life Centre and, and Don O'Leary. And Don, if I know you as well as I think I do, you'd love to sit across the table from him and ask him a few questions if he'd do it, wouldn't you? Good morning.
11: Good morning, PJ. Um, can, I, can I just say, yeah, that, that, that's true, but can I just say that I, I my heart breaks for that, that woman. Um, unfortunately, it, it's not unusual. <laughs> um, we've had to deal with parents who have gone through similar um, and it's really difficult and I think I think you're you're dead right you know in in relation to him uh, and and he doesn't just wake up some morning and decide to go to go crazy um, my my belief is is that probably the starting point here from hearing it is that he was probably using drugs prior to him. Going off the rails, and and probably continue to, to to increase his his taking of the drugs. Now something happened though. I I, I don't believe that just happens and a kid just changes and 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 it it's as easy as that. Now wh- whatever the reason was needs to be got at. I suppose listening to listening to Mary as you called her there, um, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, and this is very tough for parents, and what she did, I think up to now, has been perfect. Mm. I, I, You know, she could do no more than she's done. I think there is a lack of services, but there are some services there that could help. I think in relation to professionals and going to professionals, it's grand going to a professional, but unless the professional is willing to state and make a relationship and build a relationship with that young person, <laughs> you're going to get nowhere. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to say, though, that looking at rehab as a, as a fix-all it, it is not going to work, particularly if the young person doesn't believe that they have a drug problem. Yeah. Um, we can all see that the young person, I, I've seen a mix of you, where you see young people uh, and you... you um, You know that they're going through hell because of what they're doing to their body with the drugs, Mm. uh, what their their mental health is going through. But unless they believe that, unless you can get them to see that and and how that's made them change and that it's for the worse, they're not going to change. I mean, you're going into a a, a rehab, and if you don't believe you have a problem, how are you going to change the problem? that you don't believe you have in the first
4: place. Yeah, but well that's, exact, um, that's exactly what Michael Geerham would say, for example. There's no point coming in the front door of, of, of brewery un, un, unless you know you have the problem and that's where the help is.
11: Yeah, and, and I think that's that's very sure of kids. I think the, the other thing that sometimes uh, when young people, and I, I think Mary was right again... Young people <clears throat> congregate together with other people that probably have the same issues as themselves. Um, in other words, they have a drug problem. They, they 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 need it all the time, and they tend to congregate together. That's their friendship circle. Then it is huge. It becomes more difficult then to break away from that because when I move from these, who are my friends? Yeah. They've been with me through the bed, They're the kids that have picked me up. When when I've been so out of it, I've ended up lying on the floor or in, in, in the middle of a road, and they're the ones that have helped me. Um, it 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 it's a very difficult cycle to break, but the only way it can be broken is by someone. And and sometimes this is terrible. It, it probably needs to come outside the family, because within family it, it's 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 easier for the, the the young the young lad to kick off because he knows he's safe. Where if he's if he's with someone, who will tell him how it is, but be with him, be, be, be there with him, stand yeah. with him, just
2: just,
11: you know, if, if, a kid will always try to push you away, um, particularly if they're not if they're afraid. Is is there is, is, is there something
4: terrified. inside uh, a, a young mind like that, Don, that that knows that they're in a deep dark place, but is afraid to reach out to anybody, let alone a parent, and say, I, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Because they're afraid that they'll be talked at rather than talked to.
11: I think so. And and the other thing, if you think about it, PJ, right, you know, Mary has done really well. Everything, you know, for a parent to go and hand her own son into the, into the guards, it's not something that comes easy. Uh, and it must have torn her apart. Uh, I mean, it's tearing the family apart, but, but it must have torn Mary apart to do that. Now, the son is still there. The son knows she's doing that out of love. But but if you think about it yourself, if you did something out of the way, not, not as much as this now, but anything out of the way, it is more difficult to face your family than to face people outside yeah and and that 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 adds to the problem now for mary i i would suggest two, two things F- first of all- m- maybe going back to to source work and and asking uh about a support worker asking about sitting and having a family conference they do things like mehil i i'm not sure how that works and he may not want to get into that but a support worker for the young person who, who, who's there, and I think Mary needs support. Mm. I mean, it, it's obvious Mary needs support. Well, the very worrying thing is, and you were asking, she was of here
4: the, that evening, Don, Then the evening she came in, she she brought her husband with her, and and the two of them spoke to me, but she did the recording. Absolutely yeah. united in their love for their their love for well, their
11: son, the, and and you see that's that's the problem. I think the worry for me there is when Mary says that he talks about suicide. And I think that's pain. I, I think, you know, in, in okay, when he's in the drugs and when he wants the drugs and he goes, he doesn't care. When, when, when he has to sift with that and he hasn't got that, he realises the pain he's in and he's probably looking at the pain of what he's, uh, that he's causing. For, for me, that is really dangerous. Um, and and I, I suspect you know that 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 young person has has is is probably developing mental health issues in relation to this, and um, because it isn't easy, you know, for parents, you know, kids realise that their family is their safety net. Not for every child, mind you, but but definitely for, for for the majority of children, their family is their safety net. If they see themselves as, as wrecking that safety net. Then, then, how, how are they feeling inside? Where yeah. is that leading to? And I, that would worry me.
4: And when he, when she says that, he'll still Snapchat her and say he loves her.
11: Certainly, I mean, I have no doubt that this lad loves his family and loves them deeply. The fact that he's able to to to, to walk out and go back in shows you that he knows not alone that he loves, but that he's loved. Which is important. Um, and, and that's usually important. But if that goes, uh, and he feels that's going, even if it's not taken away, th- that leaves the child in a very, mm-hmm. very, very vulnerable position.
4: Don, well, time, time is short with me. One suggestion that she could do, one quick suggestion for her legion.
11: Well, my, my, my thing is to get back onto the social work and, and, ask, and ask, is there any chance of a male before he gets much older?
4: Hmm. Or a family support worker or something.
11: And if she needs information on that, if she wants to contact me, PJ, off here, give give her my my phone number and I talk to her. All
4: right, all right. listen, Don, always a pleasure. Thanks for PJ. Cheers, that's Don O'Leary from the Cork Life Centre. The Opinion Line
2: on Cork's 96 FM.
8: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open every day for all your solid fuels. Barbecue, gas and charcoal. SolidFuelDepot.ie
2: the opinion
4: line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Now like we had a big response to the recorded interview there uh, about the mother whose son is uh, smoking cannabis, and we think the cannabis dipped in heroin, and he's been joyriding and getting involved in all sorts of crime. And she came to us at her wit's end to try to know what to do with him. We've had quite. An amount of response and we will come back to that story throughout the course of the morning but here's one I wanted to read for you. Caller says anybody listening who's been going through any form of abuse is now screaming at the radio saying that something happened to this child that caused him to deflect onto drugs to deal with whatever else is there. This caller, who can't come on the air for very personal reasons, has been through physical, sexual and mental abuse as a child, went down the same path and has friends in the same position. Obviously, there's an issue there that somebody needs to resolve, but the person needs to come to this realization themselves. The the parents are the targets for his pain. He, he thinks something has definitely happened to this young person. It's very obvious that something is there, but he's not, not talking about it. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Also, we got a call from Marie. Listening to this interview made me think of other parents I know of as well. There should be a safe space where you're guaranteed that no matter what comes out, the authorities won't be contacted. That helps people to try to nip these things in the bud. By the time the guards are involved, It's probably too late to deal with it. But people are afraid in case their suspicions are wrong and it brings trouble down on the family. And that is something in these days of mandatory reporting and all sorts of people mandatorily directed to report anything they're told. I guess it must make it very difficult for a young person to talk and talk in confidence because confidence kind of doesn't exist. These days, in many circumstances, so there's a good point that Marie is making. 1850 715996. I'll come back to it. All right, promise. On a lighter note, might be McDonald's for dinner tonight. Might be because all the drive-throughs are opening this morning across town. Corpio have the story up. They have a list: Kinsale Road, Blackpool, Douglas, Ballincolig Middleton, Mallow. Opening from around eleven o'clock today. Watch the queues. Watch the queues mount outside McDonald's for an LB be- No, it's not murder, of Big Mac. I just wonder, would I am? Um, would I queue up today? 1850, 715996. one five nine nine six. Let's move on though to crime again. But when someone is jailed uh, and comes out the other side, and you know, many people do when they come out the other side and they want to get back into society and back into work and back into being a a, an operational citizen again for want of a better word a contributor to society a functioning member of society how do they do that having been sent away for two years, three years, five years whatever it happens to be how do they come out the other side who helps them to rebuild Because lots of people do want to rebuild, they fall off the wagon, and they get in trouble, and they do time, they come out the other side, and they never want to do it again, but they find that because of this black stain, this taint on their character, this taint on their CV, if you want, they can't get a job, they can't get a place to stay, and they end up with all sorts of trouble. At the Cork Alliance Centre, they help people in that very situation. Sheila Connolly, good morning to you.
3: Good morning, how are you?
4: Good. And it, it's fair to say that, that so many people who who fall off the tracks, as it were, do come out having paid their debt to society, want to get back and be productive members, and they can't. So how can they be helped?
3: Well, I think, Peter, that it's a real struggle. Like, if Given even your earlier stories, a lot of the people that we meet coming out of prison have got addiction issues, be it a drink, drugs, gambling, and, and the wider addiction world as well. So not only are we dealing with the legacy of having offended, having hurt people, having upset people, having upset themselves, their family, their community, they've also got addiction issues on top of that as well. So it is a very complex process. And for us, I suppose we're working with people at that level the irish prison service and the probation service facilitate us to have access within the prisons um to meet people prior to the release so we get to establish a relationship um as don was talking earlier on it's important it's the relationship is fundamental to all of this and for for us i suppose as what don was saying we're the people outside of that of that process we're outside of the system that allow people that opportunity um to explore what's happened for them, explore what they need to
4: do. Could, could you make? Could you just move your phone a little bit there for me? Okay. Put, oh, that's much better now, Sheila, thanks okay. for <laughs> that. Okay, perfect. No, that's fine. Uh, yeah, like, you know, there is this picture, the all-too-common picture of the career criminal, in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out, but there are many in among them who go in, come out, and never want to go in again
3: and i i meet very few career criminals i meet a lot of people that actually do return to prison but that doesn't make that doesn't make it their career that makes that makes the, the the situation they find themselves in life and it's about trying to facilitate people to move out of that giving exploring options with them if you're in a position where you're actually harming others be it through robbery be it through assault in whatever form you know, we have to explore what's actually happening. That you feel there's no other option other than to do that, um, and you know that's where the addiction comes into it. And that's where, if we start to stand back from that and help people take a step back, as I say, when we're given access to people in prison, that that's a interesting place to actually begin those discussions because people are stable, their their accommodation stable, they're 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 fed, they're watered in a very strange space. It's a cocoon that allows people to. To begin to explore these options and begin to identify what they want to do when they come out. Now having said that the time on release is a very very difficult time and as much planning and organising as you put in to your life as you're transitioning out of prison it's very difficult. It can be very overwhelming. The guilt, the anxieties the shame, the fears uh, the excitement, the relief, the hope everything just comes up together in it Who is and a potential
4: client for your organisation?
7: Cork person. (laughs)
3: Um, So yeah, we work with anybody from Cork and actually some of our projects have expanded beyond that into the Kerry uh, Waterford areas, but predominantly we work with people from Cork who have been released from prison. If they want to address what's happened that's brought them into prison, if they want support to bring change into their life, that's where we're there for. And do they have come
4: to you or do you go to them?
3: It's voluntary on their part in that it, they They need to they want to do it themselves it's not going to be mandated by a service or by the courts or anybody It's them driving it themselves um but we t- try to meet people in prison um prior to release so that we, so that they are given that option um but our referrals can come from themselves they can come come from friends it can come from other people within the prisons it comes with, with other people within the community um we're I suppose we're around for the better part of eighteen years at this stage, so we are known within, I suppose, that world in Cork um, and if people want some any support, they know it's just a case of picking up the phone they will always be received openly and with a welcome voice um, and begin that process, and, and no matter how any, often that there, takes
4: yeah, Is there anyone that can't be prepared for outside life?
3: If they want it, of course everybody can. Well, I think it, it's difficult to prepare people, but to actually live it and be prepared to stay with people on the meanders and the bumps along the way—that's where the challenges are, and that's what we do with people because we we don't understand, we don't see it that this is going to be a straight line. We're not that naive to life. We're not that naive to. Um, making a new life for yourself like if you were suddenly to move to the out uh, to another part of the world how would you do it how would you survive how would you you know even know where to begin and that's very much what we're looking at if we're looking at a life where you have um where if you want for a better terminology around it if you if you're saying that the offending has given somebody purpose it's given them inclusion it's given them belonging you know, we're looking at a way of dismantling that um, and providing credible alternatives um, and looking at what, what we can do with the individual how they can master that, how they can determine that for themselves how their belief and their own abilities can be established and grown so that they can make those choices that they want and who is going to be there to afford them the time and the interest and the dedication and the support so that they can build um, that Sense of self-respect, sense of efficacy, um, and as I said, that self-determination to stay with it.
4: Um, and, and, and and Sheila, and I'll ask this one as carefully as I can. Does what the person did actually matter?
3: Of course, it matters, and um, that that affects how. They, they're received by the world. it affects how they perceive themselves in the world um and you there there has to be it doesn't matter what length of prison sentence you've done. you have to come to terms with that yourself and you have to to make amends like I know in the recovery world um the, it, there is a piece on making amends, and that's not always going back to the family um who have been hurt that may not be appropriate, but it's living your ro- life. Um, in, a, in an honourable way um, where you're doing the right thing, where you're doing service, where you're, you're, you're living your life to the best of your abilities um, to honour the... Supposed to live an honourable life, so that so that you can make some form of amends for what has happened. So that can vary, you know, for for what different people are. For what, like if if I do a robbery of somebody, my how that affects me could be very different to how you would feel having done that robbery, and the impact on the people that were offended. Um, th- those impacts are all very different. So it's a very personal story and a very personal journey with how you do that process and how you move forward. And h- But ultimately what we're looking for is living honourable lives, living connected lives, living a life where your children are not affected by this, where, you, where, where your story is a space that you can support um, your, yourself, your own and your community to move on and to move up. Um, away from um, the crime, away from prison away from where life brought you to that being the only solution Where because it, like a judge doesn't imprison somebody straight away that's not, prison is a sentence of last resort but it's not the only sentence options um, and we need to get better and we need to understand broader how those other sentence options can be much more constructive um, in a society and living in the society we want to live in What if other we have, options
4: a, are you talking about?
3: Well, if we're looking at restorative justice processes, if we're looking at community sanctioning, if we're looking at education and psychoeducational processes, if we're looking at drugs courts, if we're looking at um, networks and um, peer mentoring and peer leadership, within all of that, we can affect real change. That takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of commitment.
4: And Here's a... Straight away, someone's called us at eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six to say Sheila doesn't just work with the person, she works with the whole family. This particular caller, very grateful for the work that you did with her son and herself.
3: Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, unfortunately, we can't do as much family work as we would like to do. We just don't have the resources within ourselves to do that. But we do try also to connect people within... Cork to other organisations that provide that support. We have support um, of family. for. There's organisations of course that work with people whose family members are in prison. We, have, we, we work with the addiction services. We work um, with a, a lot of the family resource centres to connect people so that they have the support, they have the mechanisms. When you look at somebody who's gone to prison, their whole family goes to prison. It's not just that individual, it's those children. When you look at what the impact is on their lives when their father or their mother is just taken out of their lives, mm. that there's unsurmountable damage that is done that unless we are supporting people and not labelling and not judging and not full of um, our own higher... Grandiosity around it. What do you mean by uh, grandiosity? And, I like. Well, I think people could say that they, they've done that and they they're separate from from everybody, but they're not. We're all together. We're all a community. We all create the space we live in, and how we judge that, how we do that, mm. affects everybody.
4: But doesn't we commu- are
3: looking at that in the states at the moment. But doesn't the know, commu- so yeah. much judgment?
4: Yeah, but doesn't the community? abide or isn't it expected to abide by certain standards and when someone steps outside those standards they're not are they not responsible for what they bring upon themselves
3: i understand where you're coming from and and i don't know anybody in the 20 years i've been in and out of prisons in ireland where people have said otherwise to me that they that they didn't that their sentence didn't make sense that they had done wrong People understand that, but what we're looking for is how do we heal that process. Sending somebody to prison doesn't actually solve a problem. It doesn't actually make it right. It doesn't right the wrong. And we need to look at the society how we can do that, how we can right the wrong to the people that were harmed, that were offended, how we can right the wrong to the person that's there so that they're not coming out in a space to do the same thing again. Like we have support within a prison mechanism to do that, but they're restricted, they're confined, they don't have. You, you know, how do we resource that enough to do it? You know, uh, so we're back into the community. We have to do something wider around it.
4: Yeah, we've we've moved on. I think, or you'd hope we'd moved on anyway, from the the lock them up and throw away the key mentality.
3: I think so. Some, sometimes we have. Um, but i think if we if we look at that if look at that process that you know if we understand prison in a different way it's but it's how we reframe it it's our whole piece of how do we frame somebody coming out of prison like the whole concept of having an ex-prisoner like are you an ex footballer? Are you an ex anything? You know, are you not who you are today? Can we not be present in who we are and who we who we're presenting as today, rather than our old labels and t- and take off the shackles well, of the well, past, well, so no, that we
12: can well, move no, forward?
4: I, I'd have to pop in there a second on that one. You said an ex an ex footballer, or we'll say an ex guard or an ex builder or an ex whatever, doesn't quite stand up next to an ex arsonist or an ex burglar.
3: Yeah.
4: You know, okay. It's a different ex. Absolutely.
3: It is a different ex. But if you've put a lot of effort into changing your life and changing the circumstances where that won't happen again, at what point do you begin to lose the title? At what point do we as a society say, yes, You, know, you're somebody that we want and we don't need to judge you by who you are? Or we don't need to look at it negatively we can understand that it's there but we understand more so the journey that you've done to change that out of your life and to move further forward and 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 distance yourself from that
4: and all very valid but i'm thinking also sheila of of families listening who are the victims of crime
3: yeah absolutely
4: and 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 they're suffering continues if they lost property or were injured or, or God knows lost a loved one or someone was abused in their house and what they see is a kind of a softly, softly approach to the, to, to the person who did it like well, they're saying I don't get my life back, I don't get my property back, I don't get my burnt out car back
3: absolutely And I completely get all of that. And I suppose where we're coming at this from is also saying we may not be able to, to replace those But part of the piece that we can do is try to ensure that that doesn't happen to somebody else. When you look at any of the research into restorative justice and any people that participate in the restorative process, that is ultimately what they're seeking. It's to know that when they go outside the door that they're safe. To know that their properties are safe. And it's about creating a space where people who have done that, who have been punished, like we have some inkling of what it's like to be in prison now having been cocooned. It's a minuscule side of it that we actually begin to understand now but imprisonment is not an easy option and if we look to address what's happened with people that that's what they're doing if they look to understand that for themselves and look to bring the changes into their lives that they can and are willing to to, to do on that process then we're creating a safer society and ultimately that's what we want if we don't stay with people in this process then what are we doing? We're creating, you know, we're not get, affording them any opportunity change. We're not affording them the opportunity to be the people they want to be. We're not affording ourselves the opportunity to live in a community we want. So I don't understand, you know, I don't see how we cannot do this, how we cannot stay with people, how we cannot be part of this process to help people find themselves in it.
4: Interesting to talk to you and, and find out about your work. Sheila Connolly from the Cork Alliance Centre, thank you. Actually, if you want to. Have you ever met someone or ever come across anybody who'd been through and worked with the Alliance Centre? In actual fact, you have. It was one of the most stunning interviews ever on the Tommy Tiernan Show, which is a show that produces a lot of stunning interviews. It was the one where James Leonard told Tommy about his life of drug abuse and, and crime and all of that and how he is now battling back from it. And that was the interview that had Tommy in tears. I think half a nation in tears. And then when it was over, the the man got a standing ovation, I think, from practically everyone watching it in every couch in the country. He was one of the clients are one of the people that have been through the Cork Alliance Centre. So there is something going on there.
8: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station Turner's Cross. Remaining open every day for all your laundry needs. SelfServiceLaundry.ie
2: Question 10. What is the highest grossing box office movie of all time?
3: Oh, the, the newest. It was like out last year or something. Oh
2: my God. Avengers it right, Time up. Ellen, you went for Avengers. You've just won 2,000 yards. Yeah! <laughs> <Blue sugar
8: winner! laughs>
2: <laughs> Ellen, you've won 2,000 euros. I listen every morning. I've been studying for this for so long. You have no idea. So happy. <laughs> Thank for you it. so much, guys. Another winner. There you go. 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 But two grand. Listen to play
8: at 7.40 and 8.40 every day.
2: Casey and Ross in the morning on
8: Corks 96 FM.
2: This is Corks Gold. Imro award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us
8: now, 1850-715-996. On
2: Corks 96 FM. Now,
4: come back to that issue. Uh, of crime and the aftermath of crime and what happens when you're released from prison and also we'll come back to the story
0: botox cosmetic auto botulinum toxin a fda approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if botox cosmetic is right for you
1: for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit
2: BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300.
0: Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. com.
4: story of Mary and her son and the joy writing and what might be done for her and what might be done for others in that situation. But we're obliged to our next guest who has taken time out from a very busy schedule to join us. The HSE has heard that that it's going to be so hard for hospitals and hospitals are suffering because of all things social distancing. To get back to normal life in hospitals, when once COVID dies down and thankfully the numbers are going down and thankfully, the hospitals are, are able to control the level of COVID that they have now. Then hopefully we can all go back in with our sore backs and our sore knees and our whatever, much more serious things. But social distancing is going to be a major problem. And one of the people who's pointed that out... Is And she was a guest on the show before, Dr. Catherine Motherway, who is the President of the Intensive Care Society of Ireland. And uh, Dr. Motherway, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us on the Opinion Line. Good morning. It's not something we would have thought about. We would have thought that once COVID-19 is under control, and thanks to the great work of all those on the front line who've done it, yourself included, we could just go back to normal, but we can't.
12: No, we can't. And to be fair, the control of COVID-19 has predominantly been thanks to the good work of the Irish population, who have, in fairness endured a fairly difficult 10 weeks, despite the lovely weather, um, and have made many sacrifices to this. So most of the control of those numbers was in fact due to the Irish population, and the frontline workers are very grateful to them. And I've always considered all of them frontline workers as well in relation to this disease. But the difficulty with um, the hospitals is is because they were built in a different time and they weren't built for social distancing. And there is going to be a significant um, issue with us trying to reconfigure our hospitals and ensure... That we maintain the social distancing we're asking everybody else to do outside of the hospital because, like, we don't want clusters outside the hospitals. We certainly don't want them inside the hospitals. So we're going to hopefully try and keep patients who have COVID or might have COVID away from patients who we know don't. For that, we'll need more single rooms, both in the intensive care units and on the wards. Mm. We need to separate patients who are coming into the accident emergency. If you have a cough or a cold, you'll go one direction, might have COVID. If you don't, you'll go another direction, might have a sore toe or a sore back and definitely don't have a temperature and definitely you think are all right. And in fact, in some hospitals, we're screening all patients who are being admitted to define whether or not they are COVID positive. So we do have a challenge ahead of us and I and I think this was pointed out by Liam Woods um to our um our office, and we're going to have to try and work our way through it.
4: Back in the time of T B in the middle part of the last century indeed. there were T B sanatoriums or T B hospitals where once they the, once the epidemic was under control And anyone who even was suspected of having TB went to a particular place. Is it at all possible, Dr. Motherway, that we could develop that within our system?
12: I think what we will develop is to try and develop elective hospitals or hospitals where you try and do more elective work, like surgical work, and try and keep those hospitals COVID-free in as much as you can in the middle of a pandemic and that means mean screening staff with their temperature making sure that staff don't come to work with a cold and making sure any patients coming in for elective surgery have essentially at the moment what we're doing is asking patients to cocoon so if you're going to have a big operation we're asking you to stay at home for two weeks we're ringing you up and checking that you don't have symptoms and we're checking that you are COVID negative 24 to 48 hours before you come into hospital. And that's what we started doing with all major elective work. Now we can't do that obviously for the people who break their bones or people who have accidents or who need to come in as an emergency and they're coming in and they're being screened as they come in, but you can't be as confident that they're um, free because they haven't been cocooned obviously. But we are working our way through pathways in each and every hospital. And yes, they did use the sanatoriums and the sanatoriums were lovely and they had lots of light because they used light to kill um, TB. TB didn't like the light. No, more than COVID doesn't like the light. Um, so sunlight is good to kill bugs like this. So they did build the sanatoriums, big, airy places where people went to recover for years hmm. in what would have been at uh, Dr. Brown's time. at the, the, Ivor the, Brown, yeah? Yeah, Ivor Brown in Noel Brown,
4: sorry, beg your Noel pardon, Noel Brown.
12: Noel Brown, yes.
4: Yeah. yes. Ivor Brown was a psychologist, wasn't he, a psychiatrist or something? <laughs> I might have been
12: religious. I'm not entirely sure. I don't think
4: they are. Yeah, so. that was a different era, and, and ideally we'd love to be able to, to, to do that now, but in, in the short term we can't, and it's going to mean that when people come back into the hospitals with their regular ailments, and indeed many serious ailments like indeed. cancer and other such things,
13: indeed.
4: you know, it, it sounds like a waiting list crisis almost before we even begin to think about it?
12: It is definitely a difficulty, and we are working our way through it. And our colleagues in the HSC and the Department of Health want us to run at 80% occupancy, a thing we've never done before. We run at 100% occupancy. And yeah. in ISU, certainly, we, we nationally, we run at well over 88% occupancy um, nationally, and then the busier units run over 95% occupancy prior to COVID. So they do need to invest in new build, and uh, that needs to be done fairly promptly at both intensive care and at ward level. And we need more beds and we need more staff and we've been under-resourced for a long time, as you're well aware. Mm. And now we're going to have to grasp that nettle and we are going to have to invest. And this is in the middle of a time when there isn't a lot of money, but some economists are suggesting that we need to give a stimulus to the economy and I can assure you there's plenty of stimulus around and the amount of building that might need to be done yeah, yeah. yeah you also healthcare. would
4: have to take a look, would you not, probably, doctor, at the, at the hospital day. As in people yeah. coming in as early as yeah. eight in the morning and being seen as late yeah. as ten at nine. I mean the yeah. the thought the thought of seeing a, a consultant at seven o'clock in the evening, most people will go, What? That doesn't happen. It's gonna to have to start happening.
12: Well, indeed, no, without respect, I was in this hospital last night at 11 and I left this morning at 4 I appreciate,
4: I appreciate that. I wasn't thinking <laughs> so of someone like yourself, Catherine. Uh,
12: hospitals um, do and will have to run extended days yeah. um, and um, quite a number of frontline consultants do work extended days already and will probably need to run extended clinics and your support staff will to have to work extended clinics and the clerks and the wards. We'll all have to work differently and we'll have to stagger the day longer. Our scanners and our machines and x rays and diagnostics run quite long days already, and they do need some time to let the machines cool down. Of course. But I, mean, I, mean, yes, I agree with you. We have cleaned. to look at the extended days, and we have to clean things, and we have to be more vigilant about hygiene. And the more vigilant we are about hygiene, the more benefit everybody will benefit in terms of infection control. Yeah, it's so great. it is going to be difficult, and in fact, some of the old wards where they might have been able to put in a certain number of beds may have to have that number of beds reduced. Yes, um, because of the physical distancing, and that will have to be done. I like am thinking
4: about a public ward where there might be yes. six beds. Yes, the, in most, the winter, three at the most, maybe.
12: Yeah, yeah, and in the winter in the past, you might have put another one in to accommodate a patient. So not, we
4: have, not going to be possible.
12: It is going to be difficult. Yeah. and It's going to require ingenuity and we're going to have to build. And also look at the intermediate care beds, which that facility they use in the City West might need to be continued to be used as a more intermediate care bed when you have had not had acute care. And there's an intermediate care facility been developed in UL, um, uh, which we may well have to use to expand our hospital capacity. And we will end up using that to try and limit overcrowding in our hospitals, and I've no doubt there's plans like that elsewhere. I don't know if anything's going on in Cork, but um, I know that we have a facility. There's one in the city western Cork, and we're developing one in H- in the University of Limerick, and until our new beds come on stream locally.
4: Finally, coming back to, to COVID and, yep. and on the intensive care front, which is yep. your own specialty, we, we did, did we not, throughout the course of this, manage to keep the intensive care units from getting out of control. He got exceptionally busy, exactly. but you never got out of control. Never. And, and to what do you to, to what do you attribute that, Catherine?
12: We stopped the elective work that we're all worried about. Um, we vacated the hospitals, and we reduced. When you reduce elective work, you reduce demands on ICUs, and we redeployed staff who had previously worked in ICUs. And essentially we expanded the bed numbers by well over a hundred. Um, so we went from having an available bed stock of two hundred and fifty beds roughly at the very start, of which you could ventilate one two hundred patients at that time you so there were fifty of those who were high dependency beds. And we increased those numbers to near four hundred by finding spaces, finding places that you could ventilate and redeploying an enormous number of staff, um, nursing um, portering, cleaners, loads of people just went from where they normally worked and created um, temporary intensive care units. Not not unfortunately
4: use... sustainable, though.
12: No, not sustainable, um, but we do need to double our ICU bed numbers. We are at half of the European norm per capita. So Italy has a dear 11 per 100,000 patients. We have only... Um, Five of ventilated beds they but six if you take care of you include all the private hospitals, so we had a very low bed stock number to start with, and that needs to be addressed and I do think that message has got across um at this point, in fairness to the h s e they'd identified this as a problem repeatedly over the last fifteen years it okay. just it's expensive we, and we, we, money was short the, yeah
4: but I, but, but I think
12: investing is probably a good idea at this point. Yeah.
4: Uh, essential I think I I, I would have thought listen thank you as always for your time that's Dr Catherine Motherway President of the Intensive Care Society of Ireland who I think and you know what the people don't get enough credit for the job that they've done and we talk about people not bothering to observe social distancing and we talk about people breaking lockdown before it's entitled to be broken and all of that but for the most part For the most part, eight out of ten of us, shall we say, eight out of ten of us have behaved ourselves very well and have helped people like Dr. Motherway uh, to do their work. And we should all, like, reach over, reach, reach over and... Give ourselves a little pat on the back for that. 1850-715-996.
8: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With a self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Spacious, convenient, and still open every day. SelfServiceLaundry.ie. <laughs> Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your
2: guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment scene. Cork-based
14: songwriter Lorraine Nash launches her debut EP this Saturday night with a special Hot Press lockdown session. You can catch Lorraine live streaming on hotpress.com at 8 p.m. on Saturday evening. Access all areas. The popular DeBarra's sitting room to sitting room sessions continue with live streaming shows from some of the finest Irish music and spoken word talent. The next wave of guests includes Merley, Swimmers Jackson, Ellie O'Keefe, Jer Wolf and many more. Check out DeBarra's Facebook page for more details. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access. Access all areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on
2: side On Cork's 96fm This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
8: Text
2: or WhatsApp now OE33969696. On Cork's 96fm I mentioned James
4: Ennard and I mentioned the interview, uh, the now infamous, or now absolutely famous interview with Tommy Tiernan, um, where Tommy was an emotional wreck after listening to, to, to James. And James just received the tears and the applause of, of the country. Um, sustained applause and there was clips of that interview shown right, left and centre on social media for weeks and ever since that I've wanted to talk to James myself and I'm thrilled to say he's on the line now. Good morning James. Good morning PJ, how are you? Good and welcome to the Opinion Line. Thank you. You have been a client of of the Cork Alliance and it's in that context context we're, we're speaking to you. How did they help you to rebuild?
0: Um.
13: I think the first time, I, the first interaction I had with the Cork Alliance, I think I was in Cork prison, I was about 18. And um, when you're coming towards the end of your sentence, the Cork Alliance get a list from the prison of who's about to be released in the next few weeks. Right. And so it, it was that then I was called to meet one of the support workers from the Cork Alliance. But when I was 18, to be honest with you, I know concept of change or anything, I was kinda of chaotic and I kinda of disregarded what they said. But I went in and out of prison over the next ten years and every time coming to the end of the sentence, every time I'd meet the cockalions and it was pure unconditional positive regard. It was like it didn't matter how many times I was asked or messing up. They were always like ready to help me the next time and the next time and the next time until eventually eventually I was able to kind of break that cycle and then um Sheila herself has kinda of, supported and mentored me on through my recovery and continues to do that today
4: You've described and you
13: did on the interview
4: and we've all seen the clips, how broken you were, how absolutely battered and broken you were at that point point. Yeah. and to be sitting there in your prison cell and time after time you know, stint after stint these people kept coming back and kept saying, James, we're there do you want to work with us? How did that feel to a fellow who was as broken as you were?
13: it's a lot of the time it's probably the only kind of um it's the only positive word you will probably hear you know it's like a, you can do it, we will support you, you not know, this type of um these type of conversations you know so but I, as I was saying earlier on when I was younger I, I really um i suppose I took it for granted, but then when you're getting older twenty five twenty six you know, you're getting kind of more mature, you have more value on what's saying. And even towards the end of my prison time as well, um, I really did want to change. Um, and I was determined to do it and I'd, you know, meet them every week over the course of a period of months or whatever. And then when I get out the gate I'd have plans set up and I'd do this, that and the other. But as soon as you you're released from the gate, it's like the, the enormity of what you're trying to do hits you and the fear, and the anxiety, and the, the doubt, you know, the low self-esteem, the, the low, self low confidence—all just comes rushing back. And as soon as you get out that gate, it's like, "Who do you think you are? So sure, what? You're never going to be able to do this. So sure, who do you, you know? This is your life now, and you know you'll never amount to any All this kind of mm. negative affirmations start flooding in, and nearly always, it always did end in relapse for me. You know, I never was able to follow on with plans once I got out.
4: Yeah, because you'd last for so long and then you'd say, oh, what of it? Nobody wants me. Nobody's interested. I'm never going to get a job again. No one's going to look at me twice. And there exactly. you're back on the drugs again.
13: Yeah, exactly. And when you think of it, when I'm in prison, like when I'm in prison, I'm going to the school in the morning. and going to the gym in the afternoon. I'm playing football in the evening. I'm going for a walk. So I'm eating. Well, my family aren't worried about me because they know where I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not... I'm strong out on drugs, I'm healthy, I have social life up there in terms of I have friends, whereas addiction can be very isolated. Well, I was actually, I felt I was more free inside prison than I did on the outside, because when I got out, I was bound to a chemist or a dealer or an area, and I was just wh- kind wh- of desperate.
4: Why did you think that is? Because you'd come, like you say, you were healthy, eating well, in the gym, walking, running, exercising, off the drugs, etc, etc, etc. And then you come out the gate... And try, try try to put it into words for, for people. You come out the gate full of, if you like, health, positivity, and right, I'm
13: going to give it a go now. Yeah. What it, happens to it, to reverse that? It's just shame and guilt. An overwhelming feeling of shame and guilt. Shame for what you're after doing. Shame for how the, the stress you're bringing on your family. Guilt for what you're after doing. It's just an overwhelming... And then it's like... You're trying to present yourself now back into the, your your city. You haven't got the drugs as a crutch. You're just left with yourself. And it's just an overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety. And it's just, it's hard to describe. But it's like, let's say you were starting a new job and Sheila was on about a while ago. If you were moving to an, a, t- the opposite side of the world, yeah. if you were asked to leave, say you're on the radio for a long time, yeah. if you were, if you were put in a, a, a different community where you know nobody, to do a job you never knew that you could do, you know, um, that's what it's like being asked to do, you know, it's like, and plus at that stage, I was after forming this identity of I was a drug user, I was an offender and this was the cycle and that was kind of my identity, and now I was being asked to kind of let go of that and adopt a new identity, but it was the fear of the unknown, was, mm-hmm. even though the identity of the drug user was miserable, it was familiar to me and it was very easy to fall back into it. Yeah, you,
4: the thing about leaving the past behind, or trying to leave your own past behind, what what I must envisage as very hard for people, is when they come out of prison and they do reform and and, and they do want to rebuild their lives, and they could be six months into it, twelve months into it, eighteen months into it, and for example, they might have gotten a job, and and the boss walks in one morning and says, "You, you never told me you did time out,"
13: yeah, and that happens. So- it does happen. It's all destroying. It is all destroying. And like Sheila was saying earlier on, at one stage I allowed to let go of that identity. Like, And she was, she gave the example of, let's say, um, young PJ was a hauler for his local hauling team. And you say you are 15, and next you're 40 years of age, and you meet somebody that you hadn't seen in 25 years, and they say, oh, you're still doing the hauling? You say, no, I'm 40 now. But, like, they say, like, if that person, Mary, a while ago, Son is in in Rob's house. They say he doesn't cease person and far, when he's 40, 25 years time, this person says to him, "Oh how are you? Uh, are you still joy riding It's the same thing. Like, yeah, we might have done, you know, them stupid things from, you know, years ago. Um, but like, if you if you if you put in a lot of hard work and you do your best to move away from it, should you be able to be like, you know, having no identities? You always have to be reminded of that. And I understand, like. Yeah, the vetting and stuff is, you know, it's important in certain roles. But in other roles, it's not relevant, really. And there should be other ways anywhere around this.
4: Have you ever... Have you made peace with any of the people that you hurt, James? I have
13: with some, yeah. I have with what some. What was but that experience uh, like? Uh, humbling. But it's just you have to go in there, you know, with no expectation, really. Apologise. Um uh, but you would only do it with people that you know that would be able to receive it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, other than that, then you're like Sheila was talking again about making an amends, making an, an indirect amends to society. Let's say if I was a burden on society, or my community, in my neighbourhood, you know, um, I'm not going to go around knocking on everybody's door saying apologise, apologising because it's not going to be beneficial for anybody. So how I make my amends then is trying to be. You know a supportive person in my community. Someone where it's positive. You know people can come to me. Um, I get a lot of calls and texts, and um, from people looking for support for their children, for their loved ones. You know, and it's that's kind of how I kind of give back to my community. Um, without actually going door to door apologizing. Yeah, you give back in your own particular way. Exactly, exactly. And that's like when I come into recovery, I wanted to get a job. Where I could actually help people, you know, and that's why I went through college, and yeah. you know, th- th- that's the motivation. Like you, you and come out with
4: first class honours, you know. by the way. Yeah. worth reminding no, people again. Fair play no, to.
13: You. No doubt about us.
4: <laughs> well done, yeah. well done, James. Great to talk to you at last, and and congratulations on on your success. And and for anybody who finally is is either, and they, we, we do have listeners in the prison, morning lads, for someone who who maybe has an end coming to their yeah. sentence, and, and they might be scared because they might say, what the hell am I going to do now? What
13: would you yeah. say? I'd say it from definitely link in with like Alliance, and like, there will be a lot of fear and anxiety when you get out, but it, it goes away after a few weeks. It, it literally leaves you after a few weeks. You'll be walking through town at the start, and you won't be able to stay in a shop with panic attacks. After a few weeks, you're walking through town, and it'll just you'll just realise that the fear and the panic is gone. So just once you get through the initial couple of weeks, couple of months, you know, then you start rebuilding your life, you'll start getting a bit of work experience, maybe do a course or something, you know, build confidence, self-esteem, and you just you just build momentum that way, you know. Um, but I just want before we finish, I my friend and I um, Timmy Long. Um, After the Tommy Turner show, I had a lot of requests from people looking for help and support and direction, what have you. So we had an idea to get a podcast going. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get it live. It's called The Revival Podcast, or The Revive Podcast, yet to be confirmed. And it'll just have um, people in recovery give their stories. Maybe drugs workers will come on, community workers like Sheila, academics, psychologists. Maybe we get some prison officers and just get a load of different um, perceptions of uh, the topic we're talking about, and hopefully it can help people and um, provide some knowledge and information for people.
4: Sounds like an incredibly interesting podcast, and I wish you well with it, James. Not a bother. You might come on my show next time. Do you know what? <laughs> I'd be delighted. I'd consider Good it man. an honour. Take man. care, mate. See you. Bye-bye. That's, that's James Leonard, 1850
2: Opinion Line with PJ
4: Coogan on Courts 96FM. Interesting query in there about the COVID-19 figures. Yesterday we had um, Lord Mercy eight more people confirmed who died with COVID and then we had 10 cases announced yesterday. Now that's the lowest number of cases since before the schools closed. That'll tell you That's very, very low. The lowest number of cases since before the schools closed, and they closed on the 13th of March. Unfortunately, we still have eight deaths. It'll be very interesting to see, and as you heard the chief medical officer there in the news, it is the next couple of days now when we will know, because of the way this thing works, we will know in the next couple of days what number of cases are coming in following the easing of the first stage of the easing of lockdown. So it'll be easier to plot where they were ready to go into stage two. I think we are going to go into stage two on Monday. I don't think that's going to change at all. But here comes a query. PJ, can you please explain to me where the new daily cases are coming from? And it's not been explained properly by the HSE. Are they community transmissions? Are they still in care homes? Where are they occurring? Well they're not in care homes because about half of them are in people aged between twenty-five to forty-four. They do give out a statistic every so often as to what percentage is in the community, what percentage is on contact tracing. I seem to, and I don't have the, the statistics to hand right now, I apologise for that, but I seem to remember a hearing in the early morning radio reports that over half of the new ones yesterday, which would have been 10, came from contacts, direct contacts. So in other words, you might have COVID and then one of the people that you met before you actually got sick or maybe you didn't get sick at all, you transmitted it to them. That's how that works. And then community transmission is where they can't explain exactly where it came from. That level is still there, but it's gone down a bit. Anyway, uh, that's that. And they do issue statistics. I'll try to find some, the next set that come out, I'll try to find them and bring them to you some morning to ex- explain how it's, how it's broken down. Huge response to having uh, James on the show. James Leonard, and people asking where can they get to hear the interview back. Well, the podcast for this show goes up, usually it's up by about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Generally it's up on all the platforms by then. I think we may probably do a podcast extra on James though because he's so popular, there's message coming in there from all over as to where they can get to hear James again. So we will will we'll organise that for you. But the podcast of this show goes up, it's usually up on all the platforms by around about 3 o'clock. Like, well done James, delighted for you, keep up the good work, you're a child of God, I'll keep you in my prayers and thoughts and healing. You're amazing. Uh, We all fail, but thank God the things we learn, uh, we're only human, says Anthony. Thanks for that, Anthony. A couple more messages which I will get back to. But did you know, did you know, you didn't know until I told you, or maybe you did, that today is World Bicycle Day. And the one thing you've seen a lot of on the roads in the last couple of weeks is bikes. And you might think there's been a bit of a run on the sale of bikes. Would I be right, Robbie O'Reardon from Bicycle Solutions Ireland? Is there a bit of a run on the sale of bikes? Good morning.
15: Good morning, to you there, PJ. Um, yes, you'd be very correct. Um, we're finding it very hard to to get new bikes in. Um, all suppliers seem to be sold out at the moment. You know,
4: yeah. bike shops weren't open. You were all closed during lockdown. So you've been open since when? You've been open since the first stage, weren't you?
15: Yes um so now some some places were helping uh, essential workers and doing some free repairs and things um but yes we're we're up open again um, the amount of repairs is is overwhelming at the moment as well um but it's amazing to see so many bikes on the streets you know and people using them it's uh, it's a huge
4: increase you know yeah yeah just where i live the number of bicycles going up and down the road over the last couple of months it's just just huge and i guess people are dragging old rust buckets out of sheds and and painting them up and dusting them off dusting them off and then hopefully giving them people like you to get the brakes and the tyres and the gears and all sorted
15: absolutely and you know what so many bikes can still be used and can be brought up to a perfect condition, you know. Yeah. Um, we've had bikes from 10, 15 years ago that come out of sheds and we just fix them up and they're perfect, you know. As yeah. good as new bike, you know.
4: Yeah, it, it is a, a, an interesting thing about bikes, isn't it? It's so much easier to take a 10-year-old bike that no one's gotten up on uh, for years and, and make that road worthy. It's much easier to do that than do it in an old car.
15: Oh, absolutely, Definitely. You know, they, um, they were built to last and especially the older bikes, a lot of them were just built for long term use you know, um, it was the main transport for many years in Cork um, and it's great to see it coming back like that, you know which uh, which leads to that, we it would be great to see more infrastructure um, because a lot of people are back on the bike for the first time in a long time and they want to feel safe and it would be great to get uh, more cycle lanes and just you know, it just encouraged the whole the increase, in you know, because it, it benefits in health and it benefits in uh, in all sorts of different ways, you know. Yeah,
4: y- you've opened in the marina, have you?
15: Yeah, we're in the marina commercial park there, and mm. um, right next to where the marina has being pedestrianised as yes. well. yes. So we're we're seeing piles of bike cycling up and down the Centre Park Road and it's uh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
4: How much would the fella pay for a half decent bike now to be suitable for the roads of Cork, some of which are like the surface of the moon?
15: Um so like thing about it, like you you can get lots of cheap bikes out there, um, starting from about the kind of 200, 250 mark upwards. But it's worth investing in a good bike that's going to last you, you know, and not give trouble. Um, so, like around the four 500 mark, you do get a better quality bike. Aluminium frame, which doesn't rust, and is just that bit more reliable and enjoyable to use, you know.
4: Because they're lighter if they're
15: aluminium anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
4: Okay. All right, listen, continued success with Bicycle Solutions Ireland. Robbie, thanks very much. I' delighted to see an upsurge in, in cycling. I don't have a bike myself. I did cycle everywhere for years. Um, okay, it's a while ago, I admit, but I did, and I loved it and it was it's great for the the bit of fitness, but uh, don't have a bike these days. Neil Neil, thanks. Good morning Good morning, P. J. How are you How are you, sir?
1: Happy bicycle day
4: <laughs> indeed, indeed, yeah. indeed. Uh, you've always been an advocate f- for cycling.
1: Yeah, and for safer um,
4: cycling, for so
1: obviously. From safety, and I think like obviously I got into it, into public campaigning after my sister Donna died and um, cycling in jogging. Yes, yes, but um, it's I I think that was one of the main reasons I got in, got into it as well was to try and promote cycling, which people kind of thought was a bit odd at the time but it was um, sometimes cycling is only seen as like a negative and as a bogeyman and stuff Um, and people would have when Donna died they would have focused on the fact she was on a bike rather than realise it was actually a lorry that killed her not a bike um, and like the the importance of having women and children cycling here in Cork and everywhere is really it's really vital because we've seen internationally when that happens when there's an increase in women and children on the roads, drivers take more care but also the governments act quicker to, you know, to build better infrastructure. Um and so the the other thing is like Shane Ross the the current or acting minister for transport at the moment, he came out last I think it was last week, um Late last week, with a, a statement saying that, that they're, you know, going to invest a lot more um, infrastructure and, and various things for cycling and pedestrians, um, you know, walking. Sorry, and I suppose I've called for that for a long time. We all have um, cyclists.ie and all the various the Cork Cycling Campaign and I Bike Cork. Everyone has been on the same page for a long time, asking for 10% of the land transport budget um, in Ireland to go directly to cycling and to go where it needs rather than, you know, like to have proper um, infrastructure, like um, not, not just, what would you call them, um, badges or what's that phrase, um, bandages, like on you know, on on a wound that needs proper... And you and know, proper. Solution. Yeah, sorry, yeah. stick and plaster, sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah. only half awake as far some reason. you You know, um, but that, that's, very, that's very important. And I think just um, at the moment with government formation talks, we've heard, now I'm not actually a member of the Green Party, but I've heard a lot from the Greens about wanting um, that as a red line issue, that they 20% for walking and cycling. Um, budget to go go towards it, and that just means really safe recycling, and safe recycling is is good for motorists as well as people on mm-hmm. the bikes. It's you know it it, it serves us all, yeah. um, and just the the other thing I was just thinking, and I waiting there on the line. There's been so much increase, like it's amazing, like to hear that um, and to see it um, around around the city, like. But um, the one good thing that I'm kind of hoping, maybe I'm naive and not and and optimistic, but I really hope that the amount of people who've started cycling or are cycling at the moment that normally drive, that they'll understand better when they return to driving. Um, you know that, that they will they will have a bit more, I suppose, care yeah. rather than just seeing a cyclist as, as a nuisance on the road, you know, yeah. Um um, so I'm very positive. I think there's been a lot of changes um, in, in the last year, since late last year with the introduction of the law and our dangerous overtaking like oh, yes. And, and yes. You know, like, these are things that we never really thought were going to happen, you know, um, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, and I, like, I'm, it's just great to be able to come on and say that there's good things happening because normally I'm on um, begging for, you know, support and different things. Um, no. So it's good. And I'm not blind. Like, we do, there's a lot of more issues that need resolving. Like, I would say, the, the Minister hasn't been very clear. The statement goes into more detail about um, what he's go or what they're going to the Department and the NTA are going to do um, in regards to pedestrianisation. Um, but it just says um, providing for cyclists, even though cycling is is his main topic when he begins the statement. But it just says providing additional mm. temporary facilities for cyclists, so it's not very definite or very clear. Short on um, specifics. Yeah, yeah but yeah. but it is happening already. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm I'm Cork based, as you know, but in Dublin I would I, like it's it's been amazing. There's been a huge transformation in a few weeks. Um, so we're hoping to see the same in Cork. Not just an increase in people biking and buying bikes, but that it will be more lasting, and that they will actually they will do they, they will see cycling as the future. Really, yeah. I my, do, my, my, my missus yeah.
4: was in 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 the dim and distant past when you, when you actually could travel um, yeah. <laughs> she was in, yeah, I know it seems a lifetime ago She was in Amsterdam with a few workmates for a weekend and she she called me one morning she rang me and she says, come here to me she, I have never seen so many bicycles in oh, all know. my life yeah.
1: <laughs> But the interesting thing with Amsterdam and Amsterdam mainly I think they, um, that began I forget the full history but a few well a good few years ago now and like just small groups um, lobbying governments and um, pleading for for support and they just kept at it and the momentum uh, built and now it's kind of, it's seen as the cycling capital of the world, like I think, you know um so, you know, the old thing was, oh, we can't do it in Ireland. Our streets are too narrow or la, la, la. Where I think with the COVID, now, I'm not, for me, I think COVID is a positive thing. But it, the one positive that's coming, well, one of the positives that is coming out of it is we're seeing that things are possible when, you know, that there is another way and that people actually enjoy cycling. And, you know, that it's a, well, obviously it's healthier and all the rest of it. Like, But especially for kids, I think, like, I grew up cycling. Um, we're now a lot. They're, they're afraid to go on the roads. So it's just to, we're. I suppose they keep talking about the reimagining of our, of our cities. You know, um, we do. We do need to look to look at it, You know, um, like I just I I think it's been called temporary all this at the moment. But it's going to be difficult to sort of. Come back and say actually we can't do that anymore, and um, because mm. the fact that we've been able yeah. to do it, you know, there's, for, there's a lot of yeah.
4: stuff that we've kind of done on a temporary basis over yeah, the last couple yeah. of months, and a lot of people say, well, let's keep that going
1: because and we like some it. of us, it, I think, yeah, yeah. but yeah. we've to be realistic as well. Like I, I, you know, like we, you know, we can't go from you know a very what's the word like. Being very inactive on cycling to so suddenly having cycling as the main thing in the country, like like obviously people like me would love that, but I think it will be a bit more gradual than that. Um, <laughs> but I do think I do think going forward for cities, it, it, yeah. we are going to see we're going to see a big change, like with pedestrianisation of streets as well. Um, I think that's welcome. I think okay. nobody wants it sometimes at the beginning, but change is always like that. And I I do think like more people actually shop. Um, that cycle. That's right, we, we were discussing yeah, that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Things things are going yeah. to change and and maybe, yeah. they will,
4: maybe they won't go back and those of us who might be a little uncomfortable about a plan, then you go and you see the plan put into place and you know, actually that's yeah. not so bad. actually works. Neil, yeah. I'm going to leave yeah. it there mate. Look,
1: and thanks a million.
4: Take thanks care. See you. God That's, bless that, that's, Bye. that's Bye. Neil Fox um, on National <laughs> or International World Cycling Day. 1850 715 996 uh, John the Postman says almost all the postal delivery staff still use bikes. So they do. Clear, I have the weirdest tax story that I've read in a newspaper in quite a long time. This is the maddest... I promise you, this is the maddest tax story that you've read in the paper in a long time. And I'll definitely bring it to you uh, before midday. The Opinion
8: Line on
4: Course
2: 96 FM.
8: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open every day for all your solid fuels. Barbecue gas on charcoal. SolidFuelDepot.ie. Save!
10: We're moving in the right direction, but it can be tough to focus on the positives in our day-to-day lives during COVID-19. Practicing mindfulness and making an effort to stay positive as much as possible can be helpful. Mindfulness is a useful way of helping us to stay in the present moment. It helps us to focus on the here and now. It allows us to be aware of our thoughts and worries rather than getting lost in them. Mindfulness also encourages you to focus on your breath, which can help reduce stress and tension you may be feeling. If that's not for you, you could focus on something as simple as the feeling of your feet on the floor. Mindfulness can be practiced in pretty much any situation, so find a way that suits you. There are plenty of online resources and apps you can download to help you practice. Stay safe and keep up to date with all COVID-19 information at 96fm.ie. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award-winning talk show.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
8: Text or WhatsApp now.
2: 0833 On Court's 96 FM.
4: Let me give you this one. It's, it's in the newspapers today. And you kind of have to read it a second time. Right. I'll hold, hold on to it, actually. I'll hold on to it. It's, I like it. It's the weirdest tax story uh, I've read in, in many a long day. Let's go back, though, to the kind of things that are on the rise during lockdown. I mentioned many times on the programme over the last nine or ten weeks that one of the things that was just brilliant during the boring evenings, before we got a little bit of freedom... And particularly in the first two or three or maybe four weeks where we were all just behaving so well and you, you'd you be watched and you had to be... You know, we spend an awful lot of time in the house and nothing to do on a Saturday night, nothing to do in the afternoons and just dull. And the one thing that got me through it or one of the things that got me through it was was the company of my dogs and my cats. And I spoke about here, how they just didn't care about this whole weird situation. They were just delighted to have you there. There's been a huge surge of people buying dogs and cats or trying to acquire dogs and cats for company. Lisa O'Donovan from the ISPCA. It's a good thing, but a bad thing at the same time. Good morning.
7: Good morning, PJ, and, and to your listeners. Um, yes, it's, it's a good thing because I think that people are appreciating the company of their animals and also actually getting themselves out and getting exercise and getting a bit of fresh air, which is really very important because our mental health is absolutely vital to us during this time and animals have this wonderful way of taking us out of ourselves and bringing us out and getting involved. But unfortunately, on the other side of it, PJ, is that At some stage in the future, life is going to return to some level of normality, maybe different to what we're used to. And then the pet may suffer because um, it's, it's, I suppose, I I, I hate to sound cold, but it's almost surface to requirements because people don't have the time nor the energy to care for them. Yeah, because
4: they've been at home now pretty much all day, every day, so they've got time To walk the dog and tend to the dog and all of this and then they'll go back to work and they say, well, I can't really leave the dog alone all day, plus the dog isn't going to be used to being alone all day and you could unfortunately find dogs dumped into into shelters. Yes, um, and
7: it's a good point you've made there that dogs are not used to being left on their own. Dogs can suffer from separation anxiety when everything around them changes and then they become destructive um, and may do damage to the, the leather sofa or, or something like that. Um, and this uh, causes them being either kept to live outside or dumped or relinquished to shelters. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's wrong. It's, it's horrible to see these um, much-loved animals suddenly not being cared for anymore.
4: Yeah. Now, what's also, and I'm reading from the Echo here, the price is being paid for, for dogs. Are people that we all say adopt, don't buy, but people will buy. But it's the money they're prepared to shell out. Like an English bulldog, eighteen hundred and fifty.
7: Yeah. Yeah, we've heard um, we've heard a lot of uh, stories where uh, your your dog that might sell for six hundred euro now and um, can go for anything up to eighteen hundred to two <sighs> wow. it, and a half thousand. it's uh, crazy money, isn't it?
4: And are all the shelters empty? Are there no adoption
7: dogs left? Well, you know, I I think that unfortunately, um people are are fussy to to you and me, a, a dog is what's inside in their heart and inside in their head as opposed to how it looks. Um a lot of people do choose to get these um I suppose you could say designer dogs, uh or they might want something very specific like something small, something that won't shed, and um, things like that. And that pushes the price up. Demand pushes the price up. We see it at Christmas. We see uh, puppies selling for phenomenal money at Christmas. um, And we're having the same now. Some of the shelters, um, uh, you know, they would have dogs left. They might have bigger dogs that people um, should consider but won't consider um, but yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's it's I think that people, it's this concept of of shopping um, is is I suppose it's it's very much in in Irish blood, isn't it? That yeah. we like to shop around. Like for to around.
4: Actually, I, where where I live myself, I, I've noticed, and this is in the Echo piece, a number of I, I call them the president's dogs. The 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 mountain dogs, the Bernese Mountain, broad and Shoda and sure we know, God God bless them. They're nearly as big as the president himself, but (laughs) but they're they're gorgeous animals. And there's one of them now has arrived on on the hill up near me. They're the most adorable creatures, but they're costing an absolute fortune.
7: They are, they are. Dear, you'd be you'd be taking out a little bank loan now to be buying one of those dogs. But Peter, what people forget is that you might pay say two two thousand euro for your puppy and um, that's only the start of the expense and um, you're going to have a lot more expense after it and it worries me that while no one should be denied companionship of an animal, we have to think about what we can afford and yeah. if, if we can't afford it, if we're worried about our jobs and we're worried about our future uh, financially um, if your little dog has an accident uh, you could be looking at a 2000 euro bill in know. the
4: vet. Vets bills you know? are very expensive. Yeah. I also notice cats, No, you wouldn't, you don't expect people to go around buying cats Unless they're particular breed or uh, breeds like a maim Coon, but yes. people are shelling out big money for cats.
7: They are, and um, we 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 have been hearing about the upsurge in people looking. I mean, you know, my myself, not even our centre. I myself have taken phone calls from people looking for puppies and kittens and and things like that. And when there isn't uh, when there isn't enough out there to meet the demand, uh, you will have sellers who will sell them. Um, and, and the thing is, if you're buying a puppy or kitten, PJ, you're not really sure of what you're getting until it grows up. No. So you, you might be sold something and told it's a specific breed. a year's time, it's, it's nothing like it should be.
4: Yeah. You're particularly right there with regard to the Maine Coon. Now, I would give anything for a Maine Coon, but I am not paying eight or nine hundred quid for a kitten. <laughs> 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 That's the big part, you know. They're the, mo- they're the most gorgeous cats. They're huge And they're very tame. But if you get one that's been crossed, it can grow up all wrong.
7: Yes. People should be very aware there's nothing wrong with someone choosing to buy a particular breed as long as it's done responsibly yes. um, check with your vets um, do they know these people don't be going on to the likes of, uh, of advertisement sites picking an animal and saying oh yeah I'll get that, oh sure that's a that, that's, uh, hundred euro cheaper than this recommended breeder was selling it. You know we have to think that these animals are living beings we, we the buyer have a responsibility to choose responsibly and you know if you want to go and buy, yes adopt, we I'd prefer to adopt. I know I could never buy a dog. I would always have to adopt something that needed a good home. But if you do choose to to go and, and spend your money, do your research. Go and visit the premises. If you're buying a dog, check that they're a registered dog bleeding establishment. If they're not registered, then they're doing it illegally. If they're doing it illegally, then, you know, God only knows what's going on behind closed doors. Walk away. Yeah. And report them. Absolutely, absolutely. But um, everyone, I mean, even now last year, 2019, there was new legislation that came out regarding the buying and selling of pets. And, um, you know, pet shops have to be registered. People who are breeding small animals, if they're selling more than five of them in a year, they have to be registered as well with the government. We should ideally have a situation where every animal that's bought and sold, you can trace it back um, to its origin. And that's really very important. And people should be vigilant. When they're buying animals
4: okay, all right, leave it there, Lisa. Thanks very much, and I presume just i I don't know are your services open again, or were they ever closed, or was?
7: no, we were never closed. We were still pottering around. I mean, obviously, we did have to take precaution because we don't only have a responsibility to our own health, but the health of the community. So there are some calls um, that um, have had to be put on the long finger, but absolutely, we're still going out there and still investigating allegations of cruelty.
4: All right, thanks very much, and long may continue. Great work. Lisa O'Donovan from the ISPCA. Speaking of animals, I have to tie it into that. Speaking of animals, story here, breakin'. Um It would appear from, this, look, Tiger King, I've right, all watched it, I watched a few episodes not the whole lot from start to finish <laughs> there's probably not a single likeable character in the entire Blasted series, Tiger King um, Carol Baskin yeah, her she has been granted control of Joe Exotic's Old Zoo in Oklahoma as part of a ruling by a federal judge now there you go it's a trademark dispute Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. speaking of judges and courts I'll do it now because if I don't I'll forget and I'm after promising it it's a candle maker a candle maker is feeling the burn of a, I know of a vat bill of nearly 400,000 euro over the shape of candles the what did the shape of the candles The Tax Appeals Commission rejected an appeal by the candle supplier against a VAT assessment of €394,802 issued by Revenue for the sale of church candles between 2013 and 2016. Are you sitting down for the next bit? The VAT Consolidation Act of 2010 states, you listening, Candles and nightlights are vat-free if they're white and if they're cylindrical. So a perfectly cylindrical white candle is vat-free. A red one isn't. If they're tapered or decorated or spiralled or a bit of an odd shape at all, they're subject to vat of 23%. The particular individual supplying the candles to the churches was supplying a kind of a tapered one, which is narrow at the top and fatter at the bottom. And apparently, they were eligible for fat on those candles. And now they owe the revenue $394,802. I tell you, lads, it's the grandest little country.
8: The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Remaining open every day for all your laundry needs. SelfServiceLaundry.ie
2: Everywhere I go. There are now even more ways to listen to Corks 96FM.
8: Tune in on your radio, online, on your mobile.
2: And now, you can ask your smart speaker to play Corks 96FM.
8: 96 FM. Try it now. Play Cork's 96FM. Okay. E- everywhere I go. Cork's 96FM.
2: This is Cork's Gold. Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us
8: now. 1850-715-996. On
2: Cork's 96FM.
4: Apropos of nothing but happy to do it, uh, someone just rang up and said, could we please... Say hello and give a mention and a big shout out and a big thank you to all the postal workers working very hard, very long hours and getting no appreciation. Well there you go. There's a bit of appreciation for you. Thank you all guys. And working very hard and they're working right through lockdown. Right through lockdown when the only there was people buying stuff online. Honest to God, the poor postman had a path worn up the drive of my house with stuff for the young one. So, so I know how hard they're working. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There was some pictures uh, going around social media in the last few days. I think it might have been from Kinsale that I saw this on the front of a car, on the bonnet of a car, around the lights there by the grill. A big swarm of bees, and I'm kind of wondering if he came out into the car park and spotted the motor, and there they are around the swarm swarming around the headlamp or swarming around the the door or what the hell would you do? What on earth would you do? Well you might call a bee whisperer a what? A bee whisperer and there is such a thing there is indeed Mark, good morning to you Good morning Peter, how are you? Good, I'm good.
14: I don't know where this bee whisperer thing came from, but it's a great, it's a great title.
4: Your company is called Cork Swarm Removal, and in fairness, all jokes aside, I have seen pictures on social media of bees swarming. It tends to happen this time of the year. They get into clumps, like a big ball around part of a car. First of all, why do they do it?
1: Uh, it's their way
14: of um procreation i suppose for want of a better word and um, you double the number of uh, potentially double the number of uh beehives that are out there uh so the queen leaves with about 60 percent of her her children essentially because there's only one queen and uh, it leaves about 40 percent behind with the new young queen that hasn't hatched yet and when she hatches then she carries on the the, the, the hive the existing hive so they yeah. go and then find somewhere new to live.
4: Are, are you um, on speak with there, Mark by any chance? I'm you, on headset. Yeah. Just can can you switch to the phone if you could? Because it's uh, a little bit. It's a little bit. Is that any better? For that's you? a lot better. That's a okay, lot better. Excellent, excellent. So so take the photograph that was on I think I saw on on Instagram at the if weekend. They were
14: yeah they were in Middleton actually the yeah. ones on the car that Eleanor Attridge I believe uh, collected them. Um, from Lame Lara Honey. She's up near Watergrass Hill. Wonderful, wonderful beekeeper. Um, the ones I collected were actually in a big swarm in a tree and I went up a ladder and I wasn't wearing any bee equipment and people were getting all hot and bothered under the collar at the fact that I was wearing a pair of shorts and uh, a T-shirt, essentially.
4: There, there is a notion, isn't there, that, that if you go in, you're going to get stung alive if you try to disturb them. So, So is that a myth?
14: No, no, not at all. I mean... It is and it isn't really I mean it's 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 a myth that a bee will actually come near you. Bees leave their hive, they go searching for nectar or pollen on a flower and they go home again. They're very unlike wasps that way um, The only time bees will really attack you if they feel that their hive, their brood or their honey is under threat and then then they'll then they'll certainly come after you. I certainly wouldn't be opening a hive without a bee suit um an existing hive, but I can stand next to them and I'll, I'll maybe tweet out or send you a, a video later. Of, a hive I was standing next to a couple of years ago with bees coming and going and they didn't come next or near me no, I didn't and to be a They didn't come next
4: or near because they didn't perceive you as a
14: threat Exactly, exactly, exactly and bees particularly, and when they swarm they've gorged themselves on honey so they, they're they only interested in setting up, they've no brood or, or anything to protect so they're, they're happy So they're
4: so the, 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 you you <laughs> took the tree, you took the swarm out of the tree Yeah. and what what's happened to them now?
14: Okay, so I put them into a hive a brand new hive, and I moved them to a location into a neighbour's. a neighbours um, have about four acres, um, and they're wonderful. And they gave me a position to put that hive, so they're they're located there now. And after about ten days, I opened them up, and they were doing they were flying absolutely very healthy. They had they had plenty of young brood and plenty of um stores, and uh, they they were doing brilliant,
4: brilliant. So effectively, when you see a swarm on a tree or on a car or anywhere at all, yeah, it's that that is someone moving house effectively.
14: Essentially, yeah. yeah, 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 that's 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 pretty much a way of describing it, yeah, yeah. They're moving house, and w- what's very interesting before they land in a bunch, it can seem that it's almost snowing bees. It's a wonderful sensation to be in the middle of it.
4: I'll leave that to you, I'll leave <laughs> that to you, Marco. My thing, but how do they choose, or do they? How do they, they have choose the whether all the
14: bees have different jobs, they just do it and they have bees that collect honey and they have bees that connect, well, connect nectar and bees that collect pollen. Yeah. They have undertaker bees. I think that's my favourite when I see them in the morning. What, 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 what's that? <laughs> bees. Any bees that happen to die in the hive overnight are taken away by other bees. And you'll see them <laughs> flying out with the remains of a bee Give and away. they'll carry it away and they're called the undertaker bees. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's wonderful. But like, what would attract them to the headlight of a car for example?
14: There's no real reason or rhyme or reason to wherever the Queen lands, okay. the swarm will land with her. So that's their mummy. And uh, that they all land with mummy and it just happens to be wherever the Queen happens to land. So right. And, and
4: is mummy a, a big, huge joke inside in the middle of them or is she just one that's slightly bigger?
14: She's only marginally bigger, yeah. She's very difficult to find sometimes yeah. Um, we we'd mark them in the hive. We'd put a little piece of ink on their back or a sticker on their back, just to, yeah. to be able to ma- find them a little bit easier. But sometimes they can be extremely difficult, to because inside an active hive in the middle of summer, if you've managed it correctly and prevented swarming, you could have anywhere in the region of thirty to eighty thousand bees.
4: Thirty to eighty thousand bees
14: in one single hive. Yeah, yeah.
4: That's a lot of children.
14: <laughs> That's a lot of children from one queen. It sure is. So it's a lot of work. And I mean to be honest, the queen is just the title that human beings have given to yeah. to, to it. I mean, it's not really a, a place of privilege. All they do is eat and lay. So, you know, but uh, they do get to live a little bit longer than the, the regular bees.
10: How long regular does bees?
14: a bee live for? About 40 days in the summer. Right, right. They work 24 hours a day. And it's only the females that work. I know this is going to cause consternation and I'm sure there's loads of... Women no shouting. I oh, see, see only the women do the work. <laughs> I, I, I've
4: heard that before. Tell me more, though. We we yeah. we all sit around getting fat on our own honey, do we? <laughs>
14: well, it's not all it's not all roses in the garden for the uh, for the males either. The, but the the, the females, uh, the males don't sting actually, which is so you can pick up a male. Um, See, no men, men, no. men are camera by nature. S- There's no camera by nature. Yeah, <laughs> it's, only the, it's only the women that sing. Yeah.
15: So this so, conversation um,
4: could go anywhere now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
14: absolutely. You'll have people ringing in now. But but uh, yeah. So so the males they're actually born from uh, unfertilized eggs. Fully enough, uh, females come from fertilized eggs. Males come from unfertilized eggs, which is really interesting. Okay. Um, but th- their only job in life is actually to find a queen that hasn't mated yet and mate with her. So they just eat and then they go out <laughs> flying around looking for a queen that hasn't mated.
4: Now,
2: it's
4: just <laughs> better like, than the Men are only... In other words, the men, the, men of the men of the hive are only any good for eating and riding is what you're saying, basically. <laughs> that's it, exactly. Yeah, but it's not all roses in the garden for them either.
14: Because if they do happen to find a queen and mate, they drop dead. Oh, God. (laughs) You only get one go, and then they die. Instantly, like? Well, pretty much instantly, yeah. They fall off and they die, yeah. (laughs) So they mate on the wing, and uh, then they fall off dead, pretty much,
4: yeah. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) listen, but in, in all seriousness, they're fascinating creatures. They're wonderful, yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, if any of
14: your any of your listeners want to get into beekeeping, it's it's really easy just to get on the Cork Beekeepers Association. And uh, we really do need beekeepers around the place. You know, I was down in Clonacilty yesterday. And I was out for a walk, and uh, I didn't see a single bee on 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 my walk. You know, which is really worrying. Yeah. So there's, you know. Um, Whereas, you know, up up near where I'm living, there's lots of bees around the place because we obviously have hives now, you know. Mm -hmm. So you you do need beekeepers, you know.
4: Listen, quick question to finish, Mark. Someone had just called up there to say, um, a wasp's nest, how would someone get rid of a wasp's nest? Clearly, they're not fellas you want around.
14: No, no. well, they're not ideal, no. I mean, they aren't very important to nature as well, but um, they're not ideal to have around there if if they're disturbing you. The best thing to do is actually wait till night time after they've all come home. And possibly use a a a wasp killing spray then into the hive, but the most important thing is don't remove. It's actually not a hive, it's a nest. Don't remove the nest um, because other wasps won't build a wasp's nest near neighbours, shall we say? Um, So they'll actually it'll never be inhabited again. If you remove the wasp's nest, you could get another one next year. But if you leave it there, they won't come back.
4: All right. Listen, great talking so to you. Good.
14: Uh, just one thing before I go. I'd like to thank Patricia Stevens for the phone call about the bees and taking the video. It's wonderful. down right. sale.
4: Excellent. All right. Okay. What's the second name, Mark, by the way? Uh, O'Donoghue. Oh, Marco Dunahu from Bee Swarm Removal Cork. Thanks so much for talking to us. Come on. 185715996 caller to say she's having a great laugh but I'm just thinking the lads like the lads poor devils, they're only any good for eating and riding and then when they once they've done the business they drop dead. It's kind of the story of our lives really half of us. Uh there's a, an RTE hand person in to say they find bees fascinating. There's an RTE hands series episode on two men in Clonic who made beehives out of briars and so on, the way it was done years ago. The traditional hive is mostly made out of briars and foliage and branches. We think it's on the RTE player, but it's definitely somewhere on the internet. 1850 715 996 Our next guest I first spoke to a number of years ago in the midst of some very unpleasant treatment of members of the Islamic faith around Cork city and county with a run of very unfortunate incidents. And I was put in touch with this man, and I introduced him by name, Dr. Amanullah Sunday, and I was absolutely flabbergasted to hear a broad Glaswegian accent on the end of the phone. Aman, good morning. Lovely to talk to you again.
16: Good morning. It's great
4: to have a conversation with you as always. And. Congratulations on your new appointment as head of the study of religion at UCC. When did that come out? Uh, so this is
16: just, um, I've been appointed from June the 1st. Nice.
4: Right. Congratulations.
16: Thank you. <laughs> you. You describe, I'm reading from the echo
4: here, you describe yourself as, and I, I want you to explain this, an unapologetic Muslim, and you find it, and you're, you, you think it's a huge move by UCC to appoint you. I think it
16: is. Um, you know, um, re- religion is, is 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 a kind of subject that kind of people start. You, you can go in any direction. You know, I'm, I'm often afraid to. When I did used to fly in a plane to say to the person sitting next to me, "Oh, what do you do?" And I would always be a wee bit afraid of saying, "Well, I teach religion in Cork because it would the conversation could go in any direction. You know, you could have everybody and their dog has an opinion on religion, on or, or or on Islam or any other religion, and I think it's it's a subject that, that, that's so prevalent that, it, that it's, um, it's always been a part of our academic study. It's been a part of, of Western universities, you know, since they were established. You know, St. Finbar, the university, the idea of, you know, UCC being established as one of the godless colleges. All of this, the rhythm of the university when it comes to Christmas in Ireland, that's what makes religion a really exciting and important subject to, to look at. And just as a follow-on there, sorry, I was actually thinking about your previous expert caller who spoke about bees. I don't know if you know this, but the the Qur'an has an entire chapter on the bees. Chapter 16 of the Qur'an actually talks about the way in which bees are venerated for their diligence and sacrifices. This is where you kind of think about very interesting, maybe even some people will think them odd kind of connections of of kind of looking at religion in a way that's just a little bit um, different. It's, it's you know critical, it's questioning, and I've always found that really interesting. That's what that's why I'm I'm, I'm do, I do what I do.
4: Yeah, I, I guess those of us who grew up Catholic and we we learned our, our as we called it our catechism in school, and Protestant kids they they, they learned their their religious. Uh, uh, in school, and I'm sure Muslim children are the same.
10: Yeah.
4: But the study of religion on a comparative basis mm. is 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 interesting because all the different Judaism, they all follow. Do they follow the same path in a different way, or is that a, is that an unfair description?
16: Mm. One of the ways that I actually speak to, to our first-year students, and we, we, we're all different. Every, every religion scholar, teacher looks at religion differently. But I, I often say to my students, look, there's three ultimate questions that we'd all try to get an answer to. Where did I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going to end up? And every tradition, every culture, you know, every person to an extent will give you a different answer. And to explore the different answers is just really exciting. I think one of the biggest problems we have today is that, that we sometimes feel we're not entirely comfortable in kind of reveling in the, the uncertainty, the unknown, or being faced with something that's radically different. I think, I think it, you know, and I understand it's, it's difficult because a lot of people come with a lot of um, anxiety and tension and trauma when it comes to, you know, how they've interacted with religion. But that's what makes religion exciting. And mm. I would hope, you know, as you're saying, I would hope everybody's on the side of peace. I would hope that by learning about something different, by approaching it in a different way, we're all trying to create a better society because there's a hell of a lot of stuff going on out there where people are not bringing us together, where we are being, you know, torn apart mm. physically. Do you know what I mean? And and that, for me, is, is really at the core. So it's Do, exciting. Does, does it bother you?
4: I mean, when when people dismiss religion and say that we should reject all forms of religion and just get on with ourselves.
16: No, it doesn't bother me. I I think we need to respect, I really believe truly in people having the ability and every platform to say that. But I'm also, one of the things that we try to do at the university is we try to to get our students to look at how did we get these polarising views? Why do we get this idea that that religion is really, really bad or religion is really, really good? How do we look at all the, the sophisticated kind of nuances that are in between? And that means looking at it from, you know, a religious, from, from, from maybe even a, a theological and anthropological, ethical, you know, pe- it, people can have a, a lot of very different ideas about religion and, and, and it can be a, a very polarizing view that people could have that it's either really good or really bad. But I think one thing that we try to do it within the academic study of religion is to try to look at all the, the the kind of sophisticated nuances that that are in between if that makes
4: sense yeah and that in itself is 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 an interesting stu- it's all, it's almost a science in itself Deirdre, to ask me to ask you what you thought of the finale of of normal people okay by
16: the way. so so here's the thing i didn't get to watch it i didn't get to watch it because my form, I've got a really good excuse. My former student in Miami was, was getting married yesterday, and I was supposed to be in Miami, couldn't get there. So she had her, her the, the Islamic marriage online on Zoom. And so I was taking part, in, and for their time, it was like in the afternoon. For me, it was like 10 o'clock at night. So there was me sitting there, and I'm thinking, I'm missing normal people for this. Um, but um, but I, I will catch up, so I don't know. So don't 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 spoil it for me because I've, been, I've I, been. I
4: haven't seen it yet either. But all we've been told there will not be a series two. So enjoy oh, it while we have no, it. No, that's it. It's
16: the end. <laughs> <laughs> Great
4: to talk to you. Congratulations again, and no doubt we'll talk again soon. That's Doctor Amanullah to Sunday, the newly appointed head of the study of religion at University College Cork, and a friend of the AP line That's it. Thanks, Deirdre. Thanks, Fergal. See you tomorrow, just after nine.